Now, I don't have to tell you, good folks, what has been happening here in our beloved little town. Sheriff murdered, crops burned, stores looted, people stampeded, and cattle raped. Now, the time has come to act, and act fast. I'm leaving. See you get back here, you pious, careless side winner. There's no way that nobody's gonna leave this town. Hell, I was born here, and I was raised here, and that's going, I'm gonna die here. And no side-winding, bushwhacking, horn-swoggling, crocker-crocker is gonna roll away, Mrs. Cutter. Now, who can argue with that? I think we're all indebted to Gabby Johnson for clearly stating what needed to be said. I'm particularly glad that these lovely children are here today to hear that speech. Not only was it authentic frontier gibberish, it expressed a courage little seen in this day and age. What are we made of? Our fathers came across the prairie, fought Indians, Fort drought, fought locusts, fought dicks. Remember when Richard Dix came in here and tried to take over the town? Well, we didn't give up then. And by gum, we're not going to give up now. Rabbit. Rabbit. Olson Johnson is right. What kind of people are we anyhow? I say we stay and fight it up. Rabbit. Dr. Samuel Johnson's right about Olson Johnson's being right. And I'm not giving up my ice cream parlor that I built with these two hands for nothing or nobody. Howard Johnson is right. Thank you, ma'am. Reverend! Seven minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11 of this, the month of September, the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson. And uh, whatnot. It is Wednesday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-3970. I'm not complaining. I'm just going to say this week's going by really slowly. Every single day, I think it's like two days ahead of what it really is. All day yesterday, I thought it was today, Thursday. Even? Today's Wednesday. Uh. Not even halfway through the week, Sarah. Buckle down. Strap in. More more hours of your life to go through before you're even at the midway point. Uh, so, yeah, all day Monday, thought it was Wednesday. All day yesterday, Thursday. Today, Friday, <clears throat> not so much it's Wednesday. So, anyway, happy to be here, though. I am. It is uh, 503-733-2970. You want to join us today? 503 503- 733-2970 with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, kvetches, ruminations, screeches, ironic musings, uh, limericks, whatever it is you got. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane. Uh, anything you got, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget one random on-air caller today wins a copy of Sports Night, the entire series on DVD. I've been watching it at home, so the odds are like one in five you're going to get an open copy with my grubby footprints all over it. Yeah. 
So you're just gonna have to be okay with that. Been sitting on my been sitting on my living room floor uh, for like uh, two and a half days. So I mean, if you get it and it looks as though it's been uh, looks as though it had a foot like it planted squarely in the middle of it at some point, it's just because I was, you know, just because I was getting up to uh, you know to go get more beef jerky. Didn't feel like moving it out of my way. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy one. Random on air caller today, winning a copy of Sportsnet, the entire series on DVD, eight DVDs, the tenth anniversary edition, uh, on sale next Tuesday, the thirtieth. But you could win it today, ladies and gentlemen. Also, because it is, uh, I'm sorry, I got to get a little water here. I'll get a little thing. Hold on. All right, Is that better? I do believe it's better, or maybe not. Wait, hold on. You remind me of another program. You remind Sarah Dillon and I of another program. See, you can't keep doing this every day because last yesterday I didn't know what program you were referring to, and today I don't know what program you referred to. Well, in any event, like I was just trying to make that sure that one, Rick, I was trying that to make one. sure that my glottal passage was free of all obstructions and debris before I started speaking to the people. Um, well, I suppose teenagers like that sort of thing. Yes, they do, Tim, and the rock and roll. Uh, it's September all month long, kids, so we're giving away a pair of tickets to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss every day this week. At some point during today's program, I will work a Led Zeppelin lyric into casual conversation with the subtlety of a church mouse. So if you were able to spot it, you call the number five. You can identify the lyric uh, that I work in the conversation. You win yourself a pair of tickets to see Robert Plant, Allison Krauss, next Tuesday uh, at the Theater of the Clouds. Tickets on sale now at ComcastTicks.com. All right, what else is coming up today? CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins uh, will be joining us today as we head toward Friday, which is going to be the very first presidential election. Then next, or did I say, what did I say, the election debate? debate. Uh, so that's going to be the debate on Friday, and then next Wednesday is going to be the first vice presidential debate. It's all, I guess, the only one, too, because I guess it's like a winner-take-all kind of a thing. Speaking of which, we'll also talk to Lisa. Did you see that thing that Campbell Brown from CNN said about the McCain campaign and Sarah Palin? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's glorious. They're, they're, they're trying to turn her into another a female Lou Dobbs. Campbell, well, you know, I dig her, man. And she's uh, and I would say she's a fetching young lady, too. I uh, I enjoy her in an aesthetic sense as well. Not just It's not just cerebral with me and Campbell. Uh, so we'll talk to Lisa Desjardins about that. Talk to uh, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum today in New York City. We will also talk to Jim Roop, I swear to God. He's not just talking about O.J. Simpson today. He's actually... I swear to Christ, this is what's written on the prep sheet he's talking about. And we get this story about it. I mean, it used to be that we got this story once a year. Then then we started getting the story like every six months. Now we're getting the story like every 45 days. He is, in fact, talking about sagging pants. Because I guess that's what's on the mind of Americans today. No, that's culture. What? Sagging pants is part of American culture. I'm just saying, so they got to, you know, because first they struck down the thing, I guess, in... Louisiana or something, and there's something in the like Vermont about it, and there's something in Los Angeles. What about the Jim Roop about that? Uh, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com will join us today. Peter Carlin from the Oregonian will join us to talk about. I mean, Mad Men was a uh, was a rerun. But we'll talk about uh, Mad Men and the overall. We'll talk about in some circumspect way. We will talk about the Shield last night, although I didn't get a chance to watch it. So we'll talk about that in a second. The fact that I didn't get to watch the Shield. So uh, the Shield was on last night. I didn't get to see it. And we'll talk a little bit about, about television, about some, some of the stuff that's on the, uh, on the agenda for the fall. Because it's so, I mean, they don't really do a fall season anymore. I mean, it used to be that they would do a big fall rollout. 
When it's like about every six weeks now, they roll out a whole bunch of... Because I thought during the Emmys, they were pimping that whole, uh, it's, it's stay-at-home week or whatever it was. It, they were trying to foist it off as some sort of family bonding thing. And the, Emmy, the Emmys is brought to you by National Stay-at-home week. Stay on the couch with your family and eat fattening foods, won't you please? And they were trying to sort of position it as some uh, keeping the family intact in these troubled and tumultuous times. When really it's just... Yeah, it's just an excuse to sit there on your fat American ass and watch whatever it is that the networks are going to be rolling out, which is, you know, I'm fine with that. I have no quarrel. Uh, let's see. What else? Oh, top five. So this is one everybody's been sort of looking forward to. Today we will do Tim Riley's top five songs of love, long, teenage angst. So we had Chris Paddock's. We've had mine. We've had Sarah's. We've had Aaron Duran's. Uh, tomorrow, Susan Reynolds. Friday, Scott Daly. I opened up my email today, and I got like five, six, seven, eight, nine people that I sort of know, you know, sort of friends of the show that were like, hey, by the way, if you need one more person, you just let me know. I'll come in and do it. And that, you know, some sort of weird therapy exorcism kind of a thing where everybody wants to come in and expel all of their adolescent demons by you know, playing a bunch of Sisters of Mercy records or something. Everybody wants to be a part of the show because it's the only fun thing left, really. It, it, is, the, uh, it, is, the show that, uh, it is the show that all others aspire to be, Tim. You are right about that. It is the last bastion of creativity in yes. this fading republic of ours. I see the invisible bats are back over there. Back. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Thank okay. You. Like a little bottle of ether to help you through the day? No, I'm, I'm good. All right. Joined today, as always, by uh, Tim Riley, who is working on the following stories for your edification today. A Castle Rock boy is charged with urinating into his teacher's drinking glass. The new Knight Rider premieres tonight. No excitement. I'm Sarah, sorry, what? The new Knight Rider premieres tonight. I was going to gloss over that because I don't think that's true. Didn't it already premiere? Didn't we get two people call about it last week? It says premiere tonight. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What is the date? Does the story say it's from today? I've got today's paper right here. Did we? Am I hallucinating? Did two people not call about that within the last few days? Yeah, they said that it wasn't as bad as they thought it would be. Yeah, they talked about, the, about seeing the first episode of the news. I'm not saying you're wrong, Tim, but I'm saying maybe you're given some bad information. I was given the information from the Oregonian. As Brother Mozon might say, you got some bad information on that. Well, all right. Well, it's the second premiere. Wait, this is from the Oregonian? No, it's in the second part of the... Uh... Here it is. Uh, is it in the TV listings in today's paper? Here it is. Series premiere, Knight Rider. Well, that's your problem. I wouldn't trust anything in that newspaper. I mean, really. Honestly, who do is they that have? Is you got to tell Peter Carlos? Uh, oh, like premier, he doesn't know. It premieres tonight at 8. Who do you suppose is even television. assembling that right now? I mean, it's called A Knight in Shining Armor, the series premiere. I mean, there's got a thousand trained gibbons in a room somewhere just slapping together lines of AP copy and, you know, Lipsum Orum type. All right. Well, in any event. All right. So, uh, all right. So, the urinating and then Night Rider and then what else? Uh, let's see here. Uh, Michael Moore releases his new documentary online for free. <coughs> no one cares. A misguided Florida group forces a woman to worship the devil after beating her. Clay Aiken admits to what we knew all along. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan also confirms she likes same-sex ladies. Fantastic. All right. Uh, Rick Emerson votes yes, by the way. I'm staunchly in favor of all of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Hello, Sarah Dillon. How are you today? Hello. All right. I am doing all right. You're looking bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? Uh, I was trying to single kind of blows. I was sometimes. trying to cover for you there. I, was I know. Trying to put the best face on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Another day. Anything you'd like to share with the group? No. It is what it is. Okay. Maybe it was a mistake to play back Chris Paddock's top five from yesterday. <laughs> feel like it's maybe just put a negative slant on everything. This I'll make it all worse. No, yeah. you know, some days you wake up and you're just like, you know, Effort. it's a good day. And some days you wake up and you're just like, okay. You know, what, it's uh, you know one of my all-time favorite films is the movie The Paper with Michael Keaton, Glenn Close, the uh, white-hot Marissa Tomei. Who else is in that? 
Um, uh, what's his name? Robert Duvall is in that movie. We all seen the paper. Ron Howard. Yes. Anyone? No. Oh, no. come on. No. Really? No. You of all people. You disappoint me. You all haven't seen the movie The Paper. I haven't. No. You no. really ought to. Here's the thing. You'd like it. You really would. Because it doesn't it, exist if two out of three of us didn't see it. I'm so, is it really? Is that it? It's like those statues on Easter Island? It's not there. Here's the reason why you ought to see The Paper. It'll remind you a lot of this job uh, in, in ways both good and bad. It came out in, I think, 93, 94, Ron Howard film, I guess, starring Michael Keaton. And here's the other reason why you all should watch the movie The Paper. A, it will remind you of this job. B, it takes place at a paper which is clearly the New York Post. They won't call it that. They call it the, uh, what do they call it? They call it the Sun like or something? It's the worst Prada, and it's, like, obviously right. Vogue, but Completely. You know, something different. It takes place at a paper which is obviously the New York Post, and it is my favorite kind of movie. Here's two kinds of movies I like. Uh, I'm a big fan of sort of strict parameters in a film, by which I mean I love a movie where it's a bunch of people in one room all day, like 12 Angry Men. I love a movie where it's all people trapped in one building all day, like the Die Mist. Hard, <laughs> The Mist. Or I like a movie that takes place, wait for it, over the course of 24 hours. And the paper takes place over the course of one day, and it is Michael Keaton working at a sort of stressed-out, high-paced media job, not unlike ours in some ways, in which he's trying to track down a story while balancing all of his other job stuff and balancing all of his personal life stuff over the course of 24 hours. And it's hilarious and exciting and gripping and dramatic and all It's a really good movie. It's a fantastic film. Maybe I'll watch that. Today's one of those days where it's kind of one of... I love my job more than anything in the yeah. world. But today's one of those days where at 3 o'clock I just want to I'm just gonna yeah. go home, lock my doors, not talk to a person, and just turn on my TV until I go to bed. And you know what? Here's the other thing about the paper is it shows, better than most movies, the balance between this type of job and personal life mm -hmm. or lack of a personal oh. life or trying to maintain a personal life. You, Anyway, so I'm going to quit the cell, but watch the paper starring Michael Keaton. It's a really fine film. No, no, you won't go wrong this kind of job and then being a single person and oh, man. trying to... It's just like... It is the worst combination. Let me just say this. There's oh. this there is a sequence in the paper which hits so close to the home that even when I saw it the first time, which was like ninety two, I think. I mean it was just it I mean it was just like resonating so deeply inside of me and even now. And I'm not gonna go on and on about it, but, but there is a sequence late in the film where Michael Keaton and Randy Quaid, who is this sort of reporter sidekick, are trying to track down a story because it's gotta be on the front of the next day's paper and the deadline is like eleven PM. So they're racing against the clock to correct it to get a story confirmed. Meanwhile, his wife, who sort of resents the fact that the job takes up so much of his time, is sitting in a restaurant with her parents waiting for him to arrive for dinner. And you know, I'm watching it, and you know, and he's he's on the phone going, Baby, I swear, I just oh, order God, without me. Totally I'll show up for dessert. I mean, it's just so nerve-wracking to watch because I have been in that situation so many times. I'm like, I'm doing some editing on a commercial. I'll, try, I'll be home in like two hours. Don't hate me. You know, so it's just, yeah. Anyway, watch the paper. Okay. So. There you go. I was trying to take I your mind off no, your worries no, for good. me. I think something like I'm just in, I'm in a slump. All right. It's like that that early fall kind of. You got a malaise. I yeah I suppose. Maybe I you have know. seasonal affective disorder. Going I think out, I sure. do. I think I do. I used to have it in February a lot when I was in um, college. Where I just get totally depressed in February. I think that kind of flip flops and now it's in fall. All right, keep maybe talking. Maybe you go to a corn maze. What? Maybe you feel better if you went to a corn maze. A corn maze? Hey, if I already asked you the corn maze question. No, I asked Laura this. Is that an intentional pun, or is that unintentional? How so? My people call it corn, your people call it maze. Oh, I get it. No, I didn't even think about it's that. It's a corn oh. maze. I don't think that was a pun. Am it's I the only maze. one who see? I know, but it's funny. It's a corn <laughs> maze. Right. No, I, I see it now, but... That'd be like... I mean, I was going to say it's like something else, but there is nothing else like that. I mean, I can't think of... I mean, I defy anybody right now 
to come up with an English word followed by a Spanish word that forms a sentence in each language, you know, or at least in English, that also is like sort of a, you know, a pun like that. It's a corn maze. That'd be like if, you know what it is? That'd be like if, if uh, like, zapatos also meant, like, store. And he'd be like, it's a shoe, zapatos. Uh, it's not like that at all. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, you know what I've got for you, Sarah, though? Your little slump buster. Look at this. You know what this is? Oh, my God, somebody drank part of this. Are you kidding me? That is so gross. A, why did someone drink that? B, <laughs> Okay, no, no, here you got to know what I don't put it past them. Here's oh, what... this maybe the same jerk that's drinking the Viso. Let me back up for a second. Uh, we have a little, you know, we have a Viso fridge here in the studio. Two things you got to know. One, we got five cases of Viso from Alex at Viso on Friday. I came in Monday, three and a half cases left. A case and a half of Viso. Yeah, that's, uh, that's 18 bottles of Viso. Can I tell you this? There's four hours of programming in the studio on the weekend. Four. Eighteen bottles of Viso. Anyway, so somebody's been going to the fridge drinking our crap. So Sarah, uh, Sarah put up a sign on the, uh, put up a sign on the fridge. I have to say this though, she did take a page from the Playhouse. They have the best sign on their fridge. At least they are still there because they have the, like a rock star fridge or whatever. And they have a sign that it just flat out says like attention thieving bitches. Like like we will kill you. So Sarah took a page out of their playbook and it says, you know, like hey jackass, hey you know Steely McGee, quit taking the Viso. So, Viso being stolen out of the fridge. Here's the other thing you need to know. So, I cleaned out the refrigerator over the weekend because I was putting out an awful funk. And we had all that liquor left over, and I mixed it all into one bottle. It was Boone's Farm, Mad Dog, Thunderbird, Night Train, some box wine. And old, like, rotting. And some Jägermeister. And I ended up with about a third of a bottle. I put it in the Thunderbird bottle, and it was all mixed together. Now there's like half an inch left. Someone, Timmy Ryan consumed almost all of that mixture. That is like... I was going to have Richie drink it. Now there's only a little bit left. Well, Richie can oh. drink a little bit. I suppose Richie can Richie can drink anything. Just a little won't hurt him. Oh. Yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll pass on that concoction. Yeah. Thanks, though. All right. Well, there you go. So, all right. It's uh, 503-733-2970. So, Sarah's feeling grumpy malaise. Tim is going to be depressed later because of the top five. I hit myself in the face this morning, and here's how that happened. So this ties into something else I was going to talk about. I'm not going to revisit the whole issue of the computer printer here and how it puts up that, which it did this morning, the error message of like, error, C5302. And then it says, turn off, turn back on. Have you noticed this about things like printers and fax machines? The on-off switch, which you do need every now and again, why can't it just be in the front? Why is that got to be in the back? And you know what I'm talking about. With your computer printer, it's in the back. Why in the back? Especially when those things always weigh like 50 pounds or they're up like on top of a shelf or they're behind a bunch of crap. So it's like turn off, turn back on. You know, because nothing's printing. And I had the best story this morning. Nothing is printing. So the printer says turn off, turn back on. And so Lisa Wood, who works at KGO, she sees me do this this morning. And I'm like, where is the goddamn on-off button on this stupid mother, you know, and I'm just, cursed son of a bitch. And so I grabbed the printer by the back. Because the printer, because the on-off switch is in the back. So I grabbed the printer by the back, by the ass end, my dad would say. Shook it like a baby. No. Um, no. no. So I, I grabbed the printer by the back, though, and I go, to try to pull the printer forward to get to the on-off switch in the back. And that back panel... As I'm yanking the printer forward, the back panel just comes off in my hands. My hands fly up, and I punch myself in the lower lip. So if, if I look like i got a fat lip right now, 
Uh, I did earlier. My lower lip was all swollen, all puffy and whatnot. Because it's like I'm grabbing the... It was like Clark Griswold trying to take off... Taking off the, the, the license plate in the truck store. He's trying to put gas in it, and he throws the license plate across the park. That's me. Grab the printer this morning, pull on the printer, back panel comes off, bam! Fist right into my face. And it's, that, and it's that kind of, I don't mean to be gross, but it's like that thing where you immediately taste blood because you know you like rammed your lip against your teeth. So that's how I started off my morning here at CBS Radio Portland. Hooray! This is because, by the way, I'm not doing myself any favors by the fact that I, I've been up since 3 in the morning. So... Why? Do you really want to know? Well, I know you're going to tell me. I don't have to. No, no, no. I want to know. Uh, there's no real reason, actually. I uh, all the people pooping in your front yard? No. Well, like I, w- I wouldn't hear that unless there's something <laughs> really wrong with their digestive system. Hey, do you hear that? No. No, I don't hear anything. Um, uh, so I have... I can't really talk about it. Um, it remains to be seen whether I can. But it is, uh, I, this is kind of an outside project uh, that I was working on. Oh. Uh, you know... I, oh, yeah, you were a little nervous. Yeah, you know, I, I was, you know maybe I can talk about it later. Maybe I can. Just I, it was like at 6? Yeah, it was early. Uh, I, did, I had to be up... Did like, you wear this? I had to be, yeah, I had to be up at like 5.50. Uh, so... Uh, but, you know, I was kind of nervous about it. I was doing this outside project this morning, and I, I wanted it to go well, and I, I tend to freak out about stuff like that in advance. I obsess like we all do. And so I, you know, but my thing is I had to get up at 6 o'clock this morning to go do this outside project. And, uh, and again, I'm not trying to be a jerk by not telling you. It's just that it remains to be seen whether I can discuss it. You know, CBS is a little weird about that. So, But I, I had to be up through the same thing. Oh, I know. I had to be up at 6 a.m., so it's like, you know what, I'm going to try to get to bed between... You know, I didn't want to go to bed at 10, because there's no point. I can't get to sleep at 10 regardless. But I'm, like, I'm trying to go to bed no later than 11. 10 o'clock is for babies. Yeah, and I'm... Exactly, Tim. Shaking babies. Uh, so I'm like, you know what, I'll go to bed at 11, get up at 6 or so. You know, that gives me like 7 hours. I go to bed, and I can't even get to sleep. And I took my, you know, my sleeping pill and everything. I can't even get to sleep till midnight. I go to sleep around midnight. That was the last time I remember checking the time. I wake up, and, you know, it's that thing of, like, you, you think it's time to get up because you're fully awake. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, no alarm, but, okay, it must be time to get up. All right, well, all right, let's see what time it is. And it was 2.45. 2.45. And I was fully awake. Fully, completely, totally awake and ravenously hungry for some reason. So I get up, and I get out of bed, and I walk into the kitchen, and first of all, I get that head rush. Where I get into the kitchen, I'm like, whoa! And I start to tip over, and I have to grab on. I'm like the guy on PCP walking into the hallway. I have to grab on so I don't fall. So I go into the kitchen, have a little nosh, then go back to bed. And, man, I just tossed and turned and turned and tossed and tossed and freaking turned until 6 a.m. So I've had two hours and 45 minutes of sleep. Hi. How are you doing? Three hours. Yeah. So I was up most of the evening going over my uh, financial type things. Oh, then you'll lose think, sleep think, that way. Think about what I'm going to do, and I decided nothing. You're going to sell your plasma, Tim. Same thing we always do. Now I'm going to leave things alone. Really? Yep. The market's going to be on the uptick well, before yeah. you know it. Well, you know, here's the thing: is uh, you know, if you, and we'll talk more about the economy later on, believe it or not. Uh, but uh, you know, if you don't have to, and I say this with all of my like five minutes of financial expertise, but I, you know, I think if you don't have to take your money out of stuff right now, you shouldn't. Oh. And people are like, should I liquidate my 101k? Uh, no, you just leave it there. Like if you don't have to take it out right, if you don't need it to stay up the street, you leave it there because things will rebound. It's just we're going to go through the long suck before they get any better. So anyway, so I've had two hours and 45 minutes of sleep. I hit myself in the face this morning. And uh, I didn't get to watch The Shield because, why? Trying to go to bed early so I can be rested. I could have just stayed up and watched The Freaking Shield. So I'm just like, you know. So we're all a little off I'm just ass out of luck on every single front today. Yeah. And Tim's not off yet until he delves into the demons of his past with his top five. That's right, Tim. Oh, by the way, here's. be at our level, Tim. Let me say one other thing, Tim, about your top five. Yes. So as I was not sleeping last night, I had your honorable mention 
because I put together the list. I, uh, you know, I found the songs. I had your honorable mention looping through my head over and over and over and freaking over. Imagine you're you're out in the middle of nowhere at a radio station in the middle of the field playing that at three o'clock in the morning. I can't. I mean, I've worked at a radio station in the middle of the field, and I never had to play that song. You know what song I had to play at a radio station in the middle of the field? What's that? Another huge buzzkill of a song. Maple Street Memories by the Statler Brothers. You know that song? Not that one. I oh, God. It's another gun-in-your-mouth tune from the Statlers. Thanks so much. The Statler Brothers. You know what's a creepy song? It's Flowers on the Wall. People don't really think about how creepy that song is. Flowers on the Wall is a song about a guy who I think has had a mental break of some kind. He's going a little nutty. But, um, yeah, Maple Street Memories, it's a whole song about lost love. And I'll just give you the whole song in a nutshell. Maple Street Memories by the Statler Brothers. It's that classic country format where it's a song, it's a story in three parts. Um, first is, he's a little, you know, he's a, it's the same old story. He's a little boy growing up on the block, and there's a little girl down the street, and they're friends, and they're, like, playing, I don't know, they're doing what, you know, they're, they're kissing or whatever. It's like a first kiss, but it's all chaste and cute because they're, like, ten. And then later... Uh, there's a whole chorus about how they're going to the prom together, and he's, like, pinning the, whatever, the corsage or something on her. And then, of course, the last stanza of Maple Street Memories is when he goes back home for some reason, and he is, like, at the shopping. He's, like, at the store and with his kids and his wife, and he sees her at the store with her kids and her husband. And, at the you know, and he has the, the final chorus is, like, you know, he goes home and... I put my Maple Street memories away. And because he's just realized his, his youth is gone. And I'm just sitting there at a radio station at like 2 in the morning in the middle of a field in Prosser, Washington, or Oregon. Where's Prosser? Oregon? No, that's Washington. I'm thinking of Pendleton. So I'm sitting there in Prosser, Washington, uh, listening to this song, just going, God, I wish I were dead. I wish the angel of death would come give me release right now. Just take me away. Jesus. All right. At least Clay Aiken's happy, though. At least that's what I read this morning. Yeah, okay. he is. Here's a weird picture of him. Oh, that's a terrible picture. No, he looks uh he looks like um you know what he looks like there? He looks like Martin Short uh portraying a bad plastic surgery recipient. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well in any event. Um do we have time to break here? Yes. All right. There's always time for commercial. All right. Uh that's right, Tim. Time for our many uh, paying advertisers. Uh Bryce, I see you there. I see what you did there. Stay there, we'll get you around the corner. Steve, I see you there. Uh, we'll get you around the corner. Plus, Lisa Desjardins coming up later on. Steve Kastenbaum, James Roop, Top 5, Mr. Skin, Peter Carlin, and, uh, you know, stuff. Stay there. Don't... Emerson Radio Program. I'm sorry, when you just said We're All Crazy, you just triggered an Alice Cooper song in my head. There's this whole album called From the Inside. It's a concept record. Because he, he got, um, he was he was put away for a little while um, because he had this, like, alcohol-induced psychosis. And so they put him in a, in a nutcase, uh, you know, in a nut hatch for a while. And he wrote this song called We're All Crazy. Uh, and so you just put that in my opt to play a little bit of that later on. All right. Um, uh... Okay, so if you're on hold, stay there, because what we'll do maybe is we'll bring on Lisa, and then we'll get uh, calls with Lisa, uh, just so I can multitask here to make up for all my uh, many years of slack. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill Theater Radio Correspondent, Lisa Desjardins. Hello. Hey, I love it. I love the multitask. I'm in. Uh, how are you today? How's life? How are I things? I am great. I am great. How are you? I hit myself in the face this morning by accident. Oh, 
always nice. Yes, it is. That's always nice. That's what mm. Congress has been doing for years. But um, bump. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't. I didn't know that er, this early. In the, hold on. Let me. All right. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, hey, by the way, I know you're a Dexter fan, so let me make this observation. Yes. I'm looking at this, uh, I guess there's a Comcast thing, I say. I, I hope I'm not. Maybe not. It's called FanCast. Oh, this is from the New York Times. I don't know where this is from. Anyway, uh, there's today's New York Times. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I take that back. In the Sunday New York Times, bottom of the television section, page 7, there's this whole thing called FanCast. Which I guess is like an on-demand kind of thing for a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, so they got what the, the big the big featured show here is Dexter, season three. Okay. And they're doing this whole thing of marketing Michael C. Hall as being all hunky. Uh, you really got. I mean, I'm describing a thing you probably can't see. Sarah, check out this photo of Michael C. Hall. Doesn't he look all hunky there? Michael C. Hall is hunky. But I mean, hunky in the like really masculine sense. Yeah, they did kind of do him up a bit. He does have kind of a feminine quality to him. He's got kind of like devious good looks, but I would never. He's not. I don't see him as your classic hunk. They're making him look rugged. Yeah, uh, he's definitely that's a hunky picture. And he has got the coolest necklace that I could never make work. He's wearing a razor blade necklace. If I was uh, if I was a badass, I would do that, but I can't. All right. um, Well, well, I don't know. Don't you? I mean, now I don't. I don't know if he's gay or straight. Actually, I don't know enough about him. uh, No. Do you want to know? I do, yeah. All right, he's not only straight, he is actually in a relationship with the woman who plays his sister. Hot. Those two, really? Yes. Those two are. Living together. I can't believe you know that. But yeah. don't you think the razor blade necklace kind of, it seems sort of gay dance club? Hey, it does, you know. But Michael C. Maybe. Hall seems kind of day, a gay That's what club. I mean. He has, you know, he does have a little bit of a feminine, uh, I would say, aura to him, but... You know, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but yeah, but I think he's getting it on with that girl who plays his sister. So, wow. Although maybe that's just a little bit of reverse viral marketing. Who knows? I know you. Uh, you don't have much time today, right? Yeah, a little short. You know, we've got this hearing going on right now. It's right. it's nutty. We've got the president going to be uh, getting on your TV screen in about six hours. We've got uh, all kinds of craziness. This bailout plan is uh, not looking too steady right now. What do you suppose that George W. Bush? I don't mean to be snarky. What could he possibly say at this point that would make anybody feel better? That's a tough question. I mean, really, what is he going to say? Everything's what fine. Rob Lowe, right? You know, if Rob Lowe were right in the speech, um, I don't know. I, I think uh, or Rob Lowe's character from West Wing, whose name I forget. Sam Seaborn. Thank you. Oh, I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah. Wow, what's happening to you, West Wing? West Wing, we need to reconnect. Um, I I don't know. I I think I think he certainly President Bush. You have to remember, this is the same president who sold the Iraq War, and and there were a lot of doubts then, and he did it. Of course, Colin Powell, he put, had Colin Powell go to the U.N., all that. But but President Bush is very good at the dire consequence, at the um, kind of uh, semi-apocalyptic scenario. I think that's when he didn't have an approval rating of, like, one, though. <laughs> right, right. Although Congress's approval rating is still lower than the president's, but it's, uh, we've talked about that before. I, I think just him speaking is absolutely essential right now, though, because the, the fact of the matter is he has not gone before a microphone since this whole thing came out, and it's his plan, and he needs to do it because Democrats yeah. finally today are kind of stepping up and being like, yeah, uh, where, where is the president, by the way? Right. You know, the White House says it's, they don't want him to uh, – they know everything he says matters in the markets, and they don't want to cause any market reaction, but – I mean, come on! This is his plan. This is, this is a huge amount of money. Uh, he needs to he needs to be in front of the mics to keep it going at least. Um, I know you have to go. Let me ask you one question yeah. before you go. Uh, at some point in the future, uh, would you be uh, willing, able, whatever, inclined—a word like that—to uh, give us about 15 minutes of your time to uh, create and count down a top five music list? Oh heck yeah! Because you know what? We do one of those every day. All right, now all time, like all time, no, all music. No, no, no. I'm going to give you a specific parameter for the list. Okay, great. It has got to be Lisa Desjardins, and you can't lie. Lisa Desjardins' top five 
teenage, lovelorn, angst, moping songs. Oh, that's great. Okay. So okay. you put together five and an honorable mention. So six altogether. Wow. Top five songs that you moped to as a teenager when the boy didn't notice you back in the halls. Wow. Okay. okay. All right. And then we'll find a time like next week. Maybe you can do oh, that. Oh, man. I already feel like a sugar overdose in my mind. All right. So just roll that around inside your brain. Okay. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. All right. Why did she have to go so quickly? I don't know, because it said on the screen she has to go. I only oh, do what okay. I only do what the little words on the screen tell me to do. Okay. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hello, Rick. How you doing? I'm fantastic. Can I tell you, I got a good feeling about today's show. Today's yeah, show. That's good. Good feelings are always well. Happy the, home day to all. Thank you. One of the best we've ever had. How can I help you, sir? Well, um, I was sitting here at my uh, horrendous job listening to you guys, and I'm not sure if I caught your individual um, list or whatnot, but um. As I was listening to, I think it was the KUFO, correct? Chris Paddock. Yes. Um, I couldn't stop thinking about Mazzy Star, Fade Into You. Mazzy Star. Look at you. Well Just done. Good reference, sir. Absolutely yeah. like one of the most depressing songs ever. I don't yeah. know. but No, it's true. You know what else that makes me think of for some reason? That Mazzy Star, Fade Into You. That, makes that was me... on the Reality Bites soundtrack, wasn't it? I think so. I think it's on the Buffy soundtrack, too. Uh, you know what else? That reminds me of, for no real reason, that reminds me of the Sunday's cover of Wild Horses. <laughs> have you ever heard the Sunday's cover of Wild Horses by the Stones? I I think I have, oh, but I am not going to be uh, confident on that. Yeah, the Rolling Stones' Wild Horses, great song, depressing song. The Sunday's, and whoever that woman is who sings for the Sunday's, just an angelic voice. But man, that'll just, you'll just, you'll just want to go grab a fistful of pills and a big fifth of vodka and just take care of the whole thing right there. Yeah, if I ever uh, committed suicide, but um, obviously not thinking about it, I was, I think I'd put in that album, that Mazzy Star album and All right. well, figure I'll be, out. Um, I'll be sure to tell the police if you let me know about that in advance. No, these were his last words. Uh, to Sarah? Yes. Raul Jr. loves you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye now. All right. Uh, no, that, uh, that Wild Horses by the Sundays, it plays, uh, never mind, never mind, I'm going to stop. Rick, did I tell you what, um, Benjamin sent me in the mail? Uh, Benjamin he, the Bard? No. He sent me the mystery sound. Son of a bitch. All right, so. You should close your eyes. I don't have Come time. Right. Can Come you make in. the sound with it? Yes. Okay, so let me just give a little backup. So a long time ago, we did this uh, horrible bit called the mystery sound, which I did as like a gag, like a goof on what morning, you know, shows kind of do and what radio stations are like, what's this mystery sound? And. It went on for like six weeks, and it just became this thing that was great and terrible. I thought it was behind us. I thought we had moved on. But so then Benjamin, listener Benjamin in Southeast, sent us his own mystery sound. And he's like, try and figure out what it is. And, of course, now it's going to obsess me until I figure it out. He sent you the actual item, though, and I'm closing my eyes, so I don't know what this is. What Make the sound for me. Okay. Are you guys close? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, you have to stop that. Isn't that gross? You have to stop. Put it, is it away now? Yes, it All right. I don't know what that is. Don't Honestly, call about it now, please. I don't please. really know what it is. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey. Hey. Me? Hey, you. Yes. Hi. Rick, I don't want you to be caught in some sort of dual causality loop. So uh -huh. that Knight Rider thing that yeah. you were talking about earlier, you and Tim are both right. We can't both be right. Yes, it's premiering tonight, but the... Uh, People that talked to you about it last week were probably like me and saw it on Comcast Preview Channel. Oh, I see. So it's sort of a quasi. It's a, so they did a soft rollout, and then tonight is the hard rollout. That is correct. All right. Okay. And also, uh, yeah. just so you know, AMC is doing uh, an eight-hour sec second uh, season uh, Mad Men marathon tomorrow night. Excellent. I hey, by right? the way, you're a Mad Men fan. Have you gone to my uh, website? Uh, I should do that today. Go to my website. It's safe for work. 
Go to my website, and there's a post called, I think it's called Sports Night Led Zeppelin and Holy Effing God. Something like that. It's it's safer. There's no profanity. Uh, there is a link to uh, a website. It's the What Would Tyler Durden Do website. But there's a link to Christina Hendricks, who plays, uh, you know, she plays Joni, the office pump. Uh, yeah. There's links to her. It's not her in character, but it's her at the Emmys. Good God Almighty. That's all I'm saying. They're safe for work, but wow. So uh, go to my website. Uh, click on the link. Look at those photos of Christina Hendricks. Very good. I will. Thank you. And uh, Sarah? Yes. Did you enjoy the Pirate Festival? I did indeed. You are. Yar. This is Pete the Pirate. I'm one of the producers, so thanks for going. Awesome. No, I had a great time. It felt like I was in some, like, mystical land or something. It was weird and cool. Well, thank you. I love that. Bye. All right. Bye now. Uh, she's pretty. Oh, dude. Uh, now, that's not even her in character. When she's in costume, because, you know, it's set in 1962, and she has, uh, you know, 1962 clothing, makeup, hair. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, she's she's not, she was put together by someone very near God. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. Yeah. Big boobs. Yes, they are. Uh, and it's not, don't get me wrong, It's she's more to me than just a pair of bosoms. Sorry, I mean, she's a really, she's a beautiful woman. She really is. But on that show, they obviously, especially because it's set in the 60s, and it is set in a time when women had to dress a certain way to get ahead in the office because you couldn't really be taken seriously as a woman, so you just had to flaunt it or whatever. Uh, and I was telling you this yesterday. Um, somebody, one of your friends, uh, this Halloween, for a little, like, hip factor, they need to go as her character from Mad Men. Uh, uh, Joan Holloway is the character's name. Uh, because the thing is, it's just popular enough that most people probably get it, but it's not so popular that everybody's going to go as her. Uh, and, and What, just dressed as a secretary? Dressed as her. She wears a very specific kind of clothing uh, on that show, Mad Men. Uh, sort of, think about it this way, maybe a more, as, as though Baby Girl Boutique made uh, office wear for mm -hmm. ladies in the 60s. Okay, okay. Um, but here's the thing is that show is popular enough people would know, but it's 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 under the radar enough that you probably won't go to a party and a bunch of other girls are all dressed as, as Joan Holloway. And it'll be that costume. Everybody goes, oh, that's so I should have done that. Hey, she's dressed as Joan Holloway from Mad Men. And this is the only year you can do that. Next year, it won't be nearly as hip because uh, it's it's just it's, it's on that cool apex right now. Uh, but this is the year you can go. That white-haired guy, uh, he was on. He was a character on Sex and the City. Carrie dated him. Yeah. He was a politician. He is so goddamn good-looking. Uh, Roger Slattery, I think his yes. name is. Yeah, yeah, or something Slattery. He plays Roger Sterling on Mad Men. He's an attractive guy, uh, a little beaky, but he's uh, yeah. a little bit a little beaky. Good-looking man, though. Boy, that uh, you know that, that that show is just. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just fantastic. We'll talk to Peter Carlin about that. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson show from New York City. CNN Red, talking about somebody that I loathe. Uh, not you, Steve. Steve Kastenbaum, hello, sir. Talking about somebody who's creepy, right? Uh, well, creepy, loathe-worthy. I don't even find David Blaine creepy. He just bugs me. Can I tell you this? I, I, look, I don't mean to be cruel. I, I root for things to happen to him. I root for <laughs> things. I root for him to be maimed, injured in some way, permanently uh, disfigured or crippled. I root for that. Well, he he's bugs the, the hell out of me. That happen, isn't he? You know, but he's not though. That's the thing. Like, here's, can I just tell you? I don't mean to start this off with a rant. Here's the thing about David Blaine. You know what I'm tired of? It's the same setup every single time. No, no, no. This time, this could be the stunt that, and then it never is. And then about three days into the stunt, we have the obligatory story about. You know, doctors say that if he continues, he's risking blah, 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 blah. And then he continues anyway because, you know, he's David Blaine. And then they pull him out, and he's all weak and shaky, and he's like, I don't know. I, I think I pushed myself to the limit this time. And then, you know, like, rinse, repeat six months later with some other stunt. I won't believe these stunts are real until he's injured or maimed. 
Well, you know, this time around, <laughs> we uh-huh. saw him hanging upside down, and they lowered him to get close to reporters yesterday. Mm-hmm. His uh, eyes are, com- uh, are the most bloodshot I've ever seen any human being's eyes right now. So all the blood is definitely rushing down to his head and, and causing him some trouble. And uh, doctors were saying, you know, he, he literally could go blind. So... Uh, I don't know if a bloodshot blind David Blaine will satisfy that need. Well, I'd accept a day. I'd accept a blind David Blaine. I'd accept a blinding for now. I mean, you know, it's a, you got to start somewhere. I will totally take a blinding because, first of all, I got two things. One, I know that this makes me a skeptic or a cynic or whatever. But you know, he's a he's a magician. He's an illusionist. So no one believes that he's re- even if he is putting his life at risk or safety. No one believes he is. No one. No one believes it. Whether it's true or not, he's a magician. No one believes that there isn't some gag going on uh, that is sort of ensuring his safety. And secondly, what was my second point? Second, uh, I have no second point, I guess. Um, uh, I guess my second point is just that, you know, I think he needs to go away for a while. I think these have sort of lost their, they've lost their special. I remember when David, I don't mean to be a jerk about it. When David Blaine first came out, he was pretty amazing. Everybody thought he was doing the close work, the street magic, they call it. And, you know, no big props and the whatever. But. You know, it's like it's like who wants to be a millionaire being on five nights a week? After a while, you're like, take a break, man. Come back in five years. Well, he sort of did disappear for a while because that other magician uh, or illusionist or whatever he is. What's that guy's name? It's Chris the... Angel. Yeah, another creepy That's guy. That's another guy I don't like. Another creepy guy. Yeah, uh, he sort of stole the spotlight. So David Blaine, you know, who still goes around being, you know, like Joe Average guy, you know, mm-hmm. with his uh, buzz cut and everything and just wearing, you know, loose-fitting jeans and stuff. You know, not getting all done up with spiked hair and makeup. I guess he felt the need to get back out there. So he's hanging upside down off of a wire in Central Park above a woman's skating rink. Mm -hmm. And he's not, like, attached to the wire. This is the weird thing. He's using some sort of magnetic shoes to hang from the wire so he can, like, remove, uh, you know, a foot at any time and... Uh, and he's uh, just hanging out up there. Yeah, and then they say there's going to be some sort of death-defying dive at the end of this tonight. How does it? How do you? How does it feel to be a to be a lackey for David Blaine, Steve? <laughs> how does it feel to be? How does it feel to be fitting into his master plan by mindlessly reading mindlessly reading copy for him? You know, here's what here's what's really interesting about this. The folks that are showing up now to see this, they're like, eh, you know, compared to the other stuff he's done, this one's just right. sort of. Yeah. That's see, that's what I'm saying. And look, and just from a marketing point of view, uh, he needs to really stop and regroup and kind of figure out what what the hell he's doing here. Uh, you know, it's sort of like the, you know, David Blaine to me is sort of like well, there's two things. One, I was going to say he's like the M Night Shyamalan of the magic world, where you kind of go, oh, hey, it's a wacky gimmick. Hey, it's a wacky gimmick again. Hey, it's a third wacky gimmick. Hey, this yeah. guy sucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, here's a, or it's like Survivor. Do you remember how like we were all excited about the first oh, yeah. Survivor and you know the Richard Hatch and everything? Every subsequent Survivor because it's like the same jazz over and over again. Yeah, can't, I can't care. I could care less about Survivor. You know what? Right. You, you take you know you know make Survivor interesting. You know you take it take a guy you put a guy in just boxer shorts uh, and running shoes and nothing else and you know you just drop him in the middle of Hell's Kitchen or something. You know. Just find the worst neighborhood you can possibly imagine. Or you know what? Just drop him on the Serengeti plane. Just kick him out of an airplane with like a bottle of water and a knife and say, look, uh, you know, we're going to drop you uh, like in the middle of South America. Have fun. I mean, yeah, the, the, one of the survivors, didn't they have the folks in, like, Costa Rica? Yeah. Or wherever it was. Any place they have spring break is not a survival yeah. endurance test. Yeah, exactly. That's I mean, what I'm come saying. on. They ran out of uh, harsh extreme. Maybe on the moon. That yeah. would be a good one. Hey, there you go. Survivor outer space. There you 
go. So you could probably do something with that. All right. Hey, uh, I, I always forget. Did you watch Mad Men? No, I don't, but I was oh. listening to your conversation just now. I'm about telling you, man. You gotta watch that show. It's uh, it's pretty great. It takes place in New York as well, uh, so you know you get a little you know get a little window into the past. I have to tell you just one small thing about New York before we go. So I, growing up, uh, growing up as a as a wee lad in this tiny little just hick rube town where I was incarcerated for 18 years, the all I ever knew of New York City. I mean, I guess apart from like Escape from New York or whatever, all of my knowledge of New York City came from. Uh, uh, from Mad Magazine, because I read Mad Magazine religiously, made a huge, I mean, it's impossible to overstate the impact that Mad Magazine had on me as a kid, and, and uh, you know, and even though I was an adult, it informs probably my comedic sensibilities and, and all of that, um, and, uh, you know, as many flaws and faults as my dad had, one of the things I got to give him credit for is he had a huge collection of Mad Magazines from, a, from his childhood that he never got rid of. And I found those when I was a kid, and so I just spent my whole childhood reading these Mad Magazines from, like, 1962 or whatever. Wow. And obviously Mad Magazine, very, um, you know, a very quintessentially New York style of humor in some ways, a very Jewish style of humor in some ways, too. They had that, they did have a very, you know, that kind of, that kind of sensibility and that kind of the use of the language in a lot of ways. And, like, you know, I would read Mad Magazine, and they would be saying things like, you know, they would be saying things like uh, like Schmendrick and Schlepp and for Schlurgener, you know, and and the uh, you know and the Schlemiel, and I was just like, what are these amazing words? <laughs> and it was you know, it was just, and it was such a great kind of comedy, very literate, very sort of absurdist, a little bit of misanthropic, you know, uh, anger to it. But they were always talking about how they were right there on Madison Avenue. And, you know, so growing up, and I know this sounds probably dumb to a guy like, you know, yourself, you grew up in New York City, but to, you know, to some kid in some dumb town, Madison Avenue seemed like the most magical place. It just seemed like the place where just all of this, you know, media and culture and advertising and writing and all of this stuff came from this mythical place in my head called Madison Avenue. And I don't probably bore nothing. I mean, the reality probably bears no resemblance to to what it was like in my head. But well, all the admin, all those agencies, they used to be on Madison Avenue. You're right. I mean, there used to be this one uh, stretch of Madison Avenue. That that's where everything that you saw advertised, you know, any sort of advertisement uh, in, in America basically came off of Madison Avenue. You know, there was yeah. a time in our history that that's where it came from. It's not like that today at all anymore, unfortunately, because it, it was a, a unique culture. It was an old boys network there, and it's one of those quintessential uh, New York uh, things. It's sort of like uh, there was a bar that's like two blocks away from CBS uh, television uh, mm -hmm. studios here in New York where all the reporters, you know, hung out. And if you needed to catch a guy, if you were get some story that you needed to get out, if you were, you know, doing public relations or whatever, and uh, it was after hours, all you had to do was go to that bar and you'd find all of the New York reporters. They'd be in either that bar or this one other bar. Uh, in in the village where all the newspaper guys would be, and those places are gone. Madison yeah. Avenue gone. I can't find the reporters. They're all going home to the suburbs now. That's you know? what I'm saying. It is yeah. you know they're nobody. They're not hanging out at Toot Shores anymore. They're not. Yeah. Hang, they're not. Let's you know Cronkite and Murrow are no longer at Elaine's, my friend. Is exactly. A, uh, you know I you know I missed the era. Yeah. I wanted to be one of those guys with the with the press pass in my hat. Right. So I guess I should watch. I should watch Mad Men. Uh, yeah. Mad Men. Yeah. yeah, Mad Men is a really great show, and from everything, I mean, I wasn't there, obviously. I'm, you know, I'm like you. By the time, look, by the time I was reading about it in Mad Magazine, it was already, you know, that was in 1979. It was already 18 years in the past. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just the it's the whole thing that I missed. That you know, I, there was a little closing of the circle in my head when I went to the Mad Magazine offices a few years ago, um, which was, I have to say, um, it was pretty great. Uh, it was it was it was wonderful. I uh, 
there was a thing in the inside of Mad Magazine, and it said, uh, you know, for tours or whatever, you know, uh, call ahead for tours, or here's our phone number, whatever. It said, it helps if you bring pastries. And so I went, and I found, the like, the biggest bag of mixed pastries I could I could find, and I went to the Mad Magazine front office, which, and by the way, I, I got off at the wrong floor first, and I got off at DC Comics, which is amazing, because when you get off on the DC Comics floor, you step out into the hallway, and the walls are painted as though you were looking out over the city of Gotham. Really? Which is, oh, it's so cool, dude. You step off the elevator at DC Comics, and the walls are painted, not black, but I mean, the walls are painted like a nighttime cityscape. And you get off the elevator, and you get a little vertigo, because you're like, whoa, am I on top of a building? And then you realize it's a huge rendering of Gotham at night as though the elevator has dumped you on top of a skyscraper, wow. which is great. But then I went back down to Mad Magazine's office, and I came to the front desk, and I said, uh, I said, hey, I got some pastries. Uh, can, I, can I get a tour? And they brought out, I don't know if you ever read Mad Magazine, but they brought out this guy, Dick DeBartolo, who was uh, you know, the, the executive editor, the you know, story shaper for a long time, a guy whose name I'd seen in the masthead for 20 years. He came right out from a back office, and he's like, did you bring my pastries? And I said, I did. And he goes, all right, then, let's get with the touring. And it was just, it was so great, you know? A little wonderful wow. moment there. So. That would right. be like the equivalent of, like, uh, uh, Wolf Blitzer giving you a tour of CNN. Totally. It was, uh, you know, it was it was quite something. So on that sort of poignant New York City note, my friend, uh, I will let you go, I don't know, go goggle at David Blaine as he sits there. And, you know, David Blaine should just, you know, his for my next trick, I will make the media care about something fundamentally boring. Poof. You know what the best thing was that he did? It was the first one when he buried himself under a New York City sidewalk. And right. Glass and you st- you stared down at him inside this coffin below the sidewalk. And I thought that was pretty cool. Because they... they were doing all this construction around where he was in the coffin. Right. So there really was this you know inherent danger that uh, you know the earth could shift while he was down there, and that would be the end of David oh, Blaine. If wishing made it so. All right, Steve Kasima, always a pleasure. You on tomorrow? Yes, I am. All right, we will talk to you then, sir. Enjoy your day, my friend. So long. All right, there you go, Steve Kasimbaum, ladies and gentlemen. You want us should give you a tour? All right. Uh, Tim Riley has news around the corner. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson program. Douchebags are omnipresent. We're surrounded by douchebags. All right. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, here's what's coming up today. Don't forget, at some point in today's program, we will work in a Led Zeppelin lyric to casual conversation. Uh, and uh, if you spot it, you call the number five. You win a pair of uh, tickets to see Robert Plant. And Allison Krauss next Tuesday at the Rose Garden. Tickets on sale now. Comcastics.com. And one random on-air caller today wins Sports Night, the entire series on DVD 10th Anniversary Edition. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. We begin with this breaking story. John McCain says he is suspending his campaign for the White House to return to Washington to help with the bailout negotiations. Oh, please. McCain said the current legislation will not pass. 
He's asking the president to call a congressional bipartisan meeting. His ass and his debate with Barack Obama on Friday be postponed. Are you kidding me? No. Yes, because he's out to save America. Uh-huh. He's a war hero. Oh, man. Okay. It's postponed? Well, he's asking he for asking. it to be postponed. Okay, we have to we have to find out if they're going to do that. Well, I guess... He, well, this just came in. See, and then I guess we won't know yet. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, uh, when we talk to Roop later, let's see if he knows anything. Are you kidding me? And of course you're not kidding me, Tim. I you would never, never lie. No, 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 Tim. You would never pass along anything but the truth. That is just that is that is just bush league. That is obvious, is what that is. But that is so obvious. Love it. Do you think the unwashed will realize that he's just a pussy? Uh, no. no, no, no. They're the unwashed, Sarah. That's what makes them the unwashed. Unwashed baby makers. They're. <laughs> I don't want to think about an, an, unwashed an unwashed baby, baby maker. <laughs> and then right there, he was there with his unwashed baby maker. It was all uh. I was running the plots. Uh, well, that's, you know, that pisses me off. F him. I'll say that. Jesus. No, yeah, right. you know, that sucks. Uh, I mean, really, first of all, what? Nah, never mind. I'm not saying anything anybody didn't know. First of all, what's he going to do? Go back and stand on some steps and go, With his I'm, hands on his hips? Yeah. I'm calling for a bipartisan panel to investigate blah, 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 blah. I mean, he's going to turn into, he's going to turn into Gabby Johnson. I mean, that's, that's going to be what that is, right? So... When really, I mean, here's the thing: is that Bush only only got the gig for like another four months. Whoever wins, so it might be nice if, oh, I don't know, maybe you could take the opportunity this Friday at the debate to, you know, maybe talk about what you're going to do to fix our stupid broken country. Jesus, that just makes me angry. That you know what it is? That that's just that's ham-fisted, is what that is. I'm... That's not even a clever way to manipulate the people. That's just dumb. All right. So more on that later. In the meantime, uh, Sarah Palin was uh, shuffled around the world to sit in chairs next to world leaders and cross her legs and look smart yesterday. Well, somebody's going to take over for Condoleezza Rice. Uh, for the most part, it uh, worked out well. But uh, Campbell Brown is very upset that nobody is allowed to uh, speak with Sarah Palin at all. Bear with me for a short rant on another subject because, frankly, I have had it. This is really good. A lot of other women out there are with me on this. I have had enough of the sexist treatment of Sarah Palin. It has to end. She was here in New York City today meeting with world leaders at the U.N. And what did the McCain campaign do? They tried to ban reporters from covering those meetings. And they did ban reporters from asking Governor Palin any questions. Tonight, I call on the McCain campaign to stop treating Sarah Palin like she is a delicate flower that will wilt at any moment. This woman is from Alaska, for crying out loud. She is strong. She is tough. She is confident. And you claim she's ready to be one heartbeat away from the presidency. If that is the case, then end this chauvinistic treatment of her now. Allow her to show her stuff. Allow her to face down those pesky reporters just like Barack Obama did today, just like John McCain did today, just like Joe Biden has done on numerous occasions. Let her have a real news conference with real questions. By treating Sarah Palin different from the other candidates in this race, you're not showing her the respect she deserves. Free Sarah Palin. Free her from the chauvinistic chains you are binding her with. Sexism in this campaign must come to an end. Sarah Palin has just as much a right to be a real candidate in this race as the men do. So let her act like one. Oh, that's so hot. I dig Campbell Brown and even more so now. That's wonderful. Good for her. And today, uh, Sarah Palin is in New York to visit Bono in Manhattan. New Yorkers are expect, uh, expressing skepticism about this visit. I don't like the fact that she's pretending that she's done something that she's never done. That scares the hell out of me. 
She's visiting who? Bono. Bono? Yes. Why? Wait, that doesn't, you, that, that can't be right. Because he's an anti-poverty campaigner. She wants to show she... Who is a pro-poverty campaigner? Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. No one campaigns in favor of poverty. That just retarded. That would be the banking industry. A world. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true, Tim. A world of enfeebled nitwits is what this is. A world of pencil pushers and clock watches, Tim. And then uh, Letterman steps in. Republican vice presidential nominee Sarah Palin is in town. <laughs> and um, John McCain took her over to the UN to introduce her to all the world leaders. It looked like take your daughter to work day. <laughs> Then there are problems with this TV anchor woman who bears an uncanny resemblance to Sarah Palin. She's receiving heated criticism and hate mail due to her updo and eyeglasses. How dare you look like Sarah Palin, whore! Cindy Michaels anchors the news on uh, two Bangor main television channels, and she says she's trying to explain to viewers that she is not Cindy Palin. When I told this woman that I had worn my hair up before, she said, I know you have. And apparently she was discussing this issue with many of her female friends. And she said, but we think that it's not something you should be doing because we feel that you're swaying voters. By the way, this is this is the reason I don't care about elections in the, in the sort of, you know, I mean, I care about them in the sense that they're entertaining, sort of an interesting sport to follow, gives me something to convince about. This is the reason that I just, this is no hope. I mean, I hold no hope for people, for this country, for humanity, for our government, for this, as George Carlin would say, this fading republic of ours. No, the world is shot to hell and we are all goners. You know why? Because almost everybody you know is stupid. So this is really, and you know what? There's no cure for stupid. You can't fix dumb. You just can't. So it'll be, I'll be interested to see whether this, you know, that thing about free Sarah Palin, and I'm not saying that there's any sort of journalistic bias on the part of Campbell Brown. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if it was the media's intention, if the media does have a liberal bent, let's say, or if the media is frustrated by the fact that they can't really put the spurs to her because everybody screams at the liberal, you know, the liberal agenda, this is a nifty sort of jujitsu way to do that, right? It's a way to put Sarah Palin on the firing line while making it look like you were coming to her defense, and even more so that it's coming from a woman. Campbell Brown is a very respected journalist. But, you know, the McCain campaign will counter by saying, well, she's going to talk to Katie Couric this week, as though that's like a real brass knuckles interview of any kind. Um, so I'll be interested to see whether or not this has the desired effect, whether Sailor Palin gets out there and has to sort of, you know, answer questions like a grown-up. But uh, I don't necessarily hold out any, any kind of hope for that. But that is the sort of thing that could catch on, that free Sarah Palin. And by the way, while we're talking about Sarah Palin and sexism and so forth, let me just say, uh, Suzanne Vega had this song called, you know, When Heroes Go Down, uh, They Go Down Fast. I, I'm not going to say that she's a hero of mine, but I read the most dis disturbing and irritating column by Camille Paglia a few weeks back. Uh, Camille Paglia, who I quite like, and at one point it was a, a strong influence on my thinking and really d d sort of, you know, reading a lot of Camille Paglia's essays and books sort of helped me kind of form my own methods of critical thought. Camille Paglia, from whom I expect better, just wrote the most fawning, pandering column where she called Sarah Palin the biggest step forward in feminism since Madonna. That's just uh, very sad. It's, you know, people, people are just not that bright, Tim. So more breaking news here. Here's the latest comment from John McCain, who is returning to Washington to help with the bailout negotiations single-handedly. Tomorrow morning, I'll suspend my campaign and return to Washington after speaking at the Clinton Global Initiative. I've spoken to Senator Obama and informed him of my decision, and I've asked him to join me. 
All right. So why, two... why doesn't he, why no, doesn't he no. debate Sarah Palin? She's let's, available. Let's back up for a couple of things. First of all, one, what will Obama's campaign do? Well, let's assume for a minute that the, the, the debate folks say oh, better be something good. Let's say well, let's say the debate folks go along with this and they go an empty chair. Well, but see that should have him show up. Well, but see, but that's the thing. But see, that was my first thought too. Obama shows up and he goes, let's see what my opponent thinks about health care, and then like an empty podium. But the thing is. I don't know that that would work because I think it might be John McCain. I can't be there because I'm fixing things. You know, I'm not campaigning. Barack Obama. Maybe Barack Obama should spend the time like volunteering somewhere. Maybe he should go fill a pothole. Go, he should go fix potholes. Uh, I mean, it, I have to say, it is a little nifty move by the McCain people because I don't know what the, what the Obama campaign would do. Mm-hmm. Obama can't insist that they debate because McCain will throw it back and be like, "I'm just trying to go do the people's work, Barack." Uh, you know, but it's like, if, but if Obama lets this derail the debate. Then it's like he, you know, he kind of lets McCain come in and sort of uh, take a little bit of his, uh, you know, you become a, kind of become McCain's beta at that point. You don't want to be that. So, I, so Obama's going to have to fix this himself tonight. It's a good, yeah. That's the thing is, it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good move by the McCain people because I don't know what the Obama campaign, and I'm always thinking that I know what campaign should do. I don't really know what the Barack Obama campaign would, you know, should do in response to this. I really don't know. I have to. I admire political moves when they're well done from either side of the aisle. But and that's really well done. It is that's a, that's a clever maneuver. I don't know what the, I don't know. I don't know what do you what do you think, Tim and Sarah? I mean, what should the Obama people do just in terms of political gamesmanship? I don't I don't well, know. Well, he can't he can't concede to McCain. He can't be like, all right, well, I'll go along with you because that just shows McCain has the power position. Right. That's the thing is he can't like no, lose can't his manhood like, right. by like I'll let you run the thing run things. But he's got to one up it somehow. You know, John McCain didn't come up with this idea himself, clearly. But whoever did deserves yeah, a little... Uh, you know, like even his voice is like quivering and he sounds like a weak little old man. Well, he is 72 and has had cancer four times. That'll sap your will to live a little bit. Uh, but whoever in the McCain campaign came up with this, they deserve a little bit of some brownie points. Because it puts Barack in a really difficult position. Because as Sarah pointed out, he can't give in because then it's like he lets McCain be the alpha male. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, you're not going to win anything that way. Uh, but it's like he almost can't show up and debate the empty podium because John McCain's going to get a photograph of him, like, with his sleeves rolled up, like, working at midnight or something. Uh, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's like Bobby Fischer tough right there. What if he hosts an, an episode of Mad Men? <laughs> what, if Barack, what if he just does Barack's movie night instead? That'd be great. So what is I'm going to take every American out to the movies and buy them a small drink or popcorn tonight. He should totally do that. I think it's a good idea. Obama should say, you know... He's not going to fix anything, and you know it's true. It's just a bunch of crap. I'm going to buy a movie ticket for every American that wants one, for any matinee showing between now and Sunday, plus a small jujube. There you go. I'd vote for him just based on that. Think it's a good idea? Uh, so confusing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it when I don't know things, Tim. All right. Don't somewhere. worry about it. We'll okay. get back to the matter of the economy in just a moment. <laughs> you don't need to worry about the economy. It'll still be broken All in right. 10 minutes, so we'll get back to that. It's a little break here. A 13-year-old Castle Rock boy is facing a felony attempted assault charge after he urinated in his teacher's drinking glass. Police were notified by other students of the incident, and the instructor did not consume the human waste. The boy is being held in Collins County Juvenile Detention Facility and was suspended from Castle Rock Middle School. He's under investigation for placing a harmful substance in a container designed for human consumption. Everybody has done that or been in a classroom, by the way, where the teacher got dosed with something. Every single person went to school where that happened. I had uh, We had a teacher, well, I just said she was the German teacher, who got, uh, got dosed with speed at one point. I'm not laughing. Don't do that. But they dosed her with uh, a powerful amphetamine at one point. 
Uh, I think they just ground up a bunch of cross tops and put them into her uh, her coffee. And she was already a little nutty to begin with, and uh, she went uh, much more so that day. Here's Tim Riley. So she taught German or was German? Uh, She was crazy and taught German. I don't know if she was actually German. Uh, She was nutty. This This is a teacher who resigned when she quit her job. She sent a letter to the, and I saw it. She sent a letter to the to the school. Her resignation letter said, "I quit." Tra la la, tra la la. Signed her name. Uh, she was a little nutty. This here's here's one more story about this teacher. Here's how senile this teacher was. In German, which by the way is just a completely pointless language. It's a pointless. Why do they offer German classes? You know, I don't know, Tim. I mean, I you know, here's the thing. In my opinion, if I were to run this whole place, you should only be able to take German, French, Greek. You know, whatever, after you've taken Spanish. Spanish ought to be required. You ought to have that. That should be like the law. You should have to learn Spanish in school, period. Uh, you know, if you're just if we're going to have like an economy that works, you've got to learn Spanish. I wish I, I mean, I regret to this day that I don't, that I don't know Spanish. I, you know, and, and Lauren, I've actually talked about taking night classes to learn Spanish because it is a massively useful language in this country. I mean, it, it just is. You can't get along in parts of this country if you don't speak Spanish. That's just a fact, and everybody just have to accept that and quit your bitching. So I've talked about taking college classes or whatever it is you don't like to learn Spanish. They ought to make you take Spanish, and then if you learn Spanish, then you've shown that you have some affinity for languages, then you can take stupid German, which no one needs to know. No one. And, and I'll just say this. Based on my experience, I mean, I took German because I got guilted into it by my dad, and my dad was one of those nutcase like American beauty, like look at my Nazi plate guys who was all like freakishly into his German heritage. And by the way, let's say something that we all know is true. If you know a guy, and it's always a guy, who is really into his German heritage, he's also crazy and he loves guns. And you know it's true. You know it's true. I know it's true. Uh, teenage boys, guys who are really into German history, German culture, German heritage... They, they, I mean, that's a guy who goes home and, uh, you know, adds to his ever-growing pile of dead cats in the backyard. And we all know that's true. So I took German because my dad kind of guilted me into it, you know. Blah, 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 fatherland, blah, 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 pride, blah, 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 whatever. You know, stupid. Uh, and then everybody else in the class was, of course, nutty. And then, wait, what was my point? Oh, and so it's just, but it's a, it's a pointless, ugly language. It's like a language spoken by you know, the gears and spindles. And, it, and it's all based on phlegm. The whole language based on something in the back of your throat you can't quite get out. So, but it's mostly people in chains and leather and that type of thing. That's what I'm talking about, Tim. Uh, chains, Dungeons and chain, chains and leather, and uh, you know, and like uh, you know, reading Guns and Ammo magazine. But in German, they have this whole thing where there's like 15 versions of the or something, and it's a thing called a dare chart, uh, which is like the, the, the you know, which is like a bunch of articles and stuff. And it's all about what version of the do you use, depending on the, you know, the, the stupid language stuff. And there was this chart you had to memorize, and they would quiz you, the teacher would quiz us on it. And it'd be like, which version of dare do you have to use for a certain, you know, German sentence? And so, rather than memorizing the chart, this guy, Rob, who was in my class, he just went, he came in early one day, and he just went to the blackboard at the front of the room, and he just wrote the chart on the blackboard in letters like, like 10 feet high. I mean, he just, the chart filled the blackboard. And it was actually so large and obvious she never noticed it. And we just copied it directly off the board during the test. So she wasn't like, you know, like the brightest bulb in the bank or anything. Did you have to measure each other's skulls to see how German you were? Or is that another class? You're all full of creepy today. <laughs> is that a thing Germans do? I saw that. Well, they're an evil people. They probably yeah. would. Uh, are Germans what? In phrenology, too. You love Hold on, I'm going to uh, I'm going to assess your readiness in any number of academic areas by feeling the bumps on your head. 
please to cough. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Oh, hey, Rick. It's Jenny in Vancouver. Hello. Hi. How Hello. are you? Hey. hey, I sent you an email, but I got so irate at John McCain, I thought I would call anyway. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's suspending his campaign, right, and wanting to yeah. postpone the debate. Because so he's going to go work for the people. Well, here's the thing that pisses me off. Excuse me. It irritates me. He He... Hasn't voted in the Senate since, like, February or March of this year. Right. Now he suddenly can't even multitask. Well, that's a fair point. I mean, if he wants to be president, which is a job where I think you got to do some stuff, you know, at the same time as you're doing other stuff. Yeah. I mean, can't you run your campaign, figure out how you're going to spin the economy, and run for your – or do your job in the Senate if you can't do all that at the same time? So – See, here's the thing: is you're bringing in common sense, though. That's the, uh, and this is not about. No, really, and, and I don't. I'm not trying to be. I know. I'm not trying to be uh, to be jerky about that. No, I mean, I this know. is this is a political move. It is a chess move, and nothing more. And by the way, I will say, in all honesty, I really do admire whoever it is in the McCain campaign oh, yeah. that came up with it because it's a great move, man. Because it puts all the pressure on Obama, and it's right now he he is stuck between a rock and a hard place. He has two two bad choices, and I don't know how he's going to get out of it. It's uh, I'll be. I would be very interested to see what the Obama campaign's response is. The only way, well, see, but I was going to say, the only way that you get out of it is if the, if the debate folks said, no, 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 you still got to debate. And then McCain would just do the thing of not showing up and oh. being like, you all can debate. I got to work. Well, it... <laughs> ah, that's a good move. Yeah, it really is. I haven't worked since February, yeah. but, oh, I better do it now. Yeah. Well, right. And then you'll want to watch the news tonight because I got a news alert that Sarah Palin just said that, unfortunately, the economy may be on the road to depression. That's great. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Okay, you bet. Bye. Let's all go live in a Hooverville. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah, I was just actually going to add to what she just said, and I think that what Obama has to do is say, yeah, we got to get the economy focused. But why do you have to have debate prep? We can still have a debate, you know, and, and throw it back into his, into McCain's court. So we'll say it has to be this polished thing, and the only way McCain can talk is to have his people work with him. Yeah, I don't know. I, the why can't is, he bring a Save the Economy folder with him to the debate and have it off a little table? Like tabbed table out, yeah. right behind, like, recipes. Mm-hmm. Recipes, the Thomas Guide, Save the Economy. Uh, you know, the, the problem is, is that people want to hear short answers. Yes. And... Obama's not going to be able to sell the fact that he still wants to have a debate because McCain can't talk. Well, and and plus, the thing is, this nifty move of McCain's is going to dominate the news cycle now. And Obama's going to have to time his response very carefully because this is going to be the story that everybody's talking about about right now. And so it's going going to be very tricky for Obama to find the right moment to release his response. By the way, uh, speaking of his response... Uh, if I almost hesitate to, to recommend this because it's it's the thing that is simultaneously great and sad and angering and inspiring all at once. Uh, if you are online, you get a chance to go to the New York Times website. Go to Maureen Dowd's column from a couple days ago. Maureen Dowd did the niftiest little thing, and this is real. She called Aaron Sorkin, who of course gifted writer, one of my one of my true heroes, wrote The West Wing, blah 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 blah. And she had McCain. Uh, I'm sorry, she she had uh, Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin, write out. A script. She had Sorkin write out a meeting between Barack Obama and President Jed Bartlett from the West Wing. And so it's it's about, you know, take you about five minutes to read it. It's Barack Obama talking with Jed Bartlett from the West Wing. And you read it and it's like it's like watching the movie Dave. It is so simultaneously angering and inspiring and depressing and invigorating all at once that you kind of just have to go drink afterward. So go read that if you get a chance, sir. Uh, well, hey, uh, for the VP debate, do you think that... Uh... Palin will somehow get a fire going on the uh, Alaskan pipeline to get out of it. Uh, yes, maybe, maybe. So maybe she's having a weenie roast with Henry Kissinger. Yeah, maybe there'll be maybe there'll be some animal menacing her family, and she'll have to go kill it live on television.
Thank you. Uh, okay, right. so that's I, not really happening, by the way. Here's I have that comment, which was made uh, with Katie Couric, which they're going to play tonight, but I have the clip here. Let's see if uh, right. this works. This is from CBS. Columbia Broadcasting Systems, Tim. Okay, so I... Uh, did you get my email with all those old mutual sounders? I did. That was amazing. Yeah. This is from CBS. I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. Well, I, I did my best. It's not working. And if you see a crack somewhere, take a with you and try to seal that, seal that crack up. Responds to increases in adrenaline better than right guards. Just a little like commercial before the Are we giving free advertising? Well, it is CBS. All right. Okay. Well, never mind. Sorry. Okay. Let me pop that back up. Here we go. And uh, it's going to start any second now um, from uh, CBS. 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 <laughs> any second now. Okay. It works very well. Shiny, a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity. Well, we'll get back to that later. You're, you're sure? Yes. You want to take more time? No, it's not going to work. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now here's something you'll really like. Clay Aiken appears on the cover of the latest People magazine, holding his infant son, Parker Foster Aiken, with the headline, Yes, I'm Gay. A 29-year-old former American Idol runner-up, Multi-platinum recording artist and Broadway star. How is it possible that Clay Aiken is a multi-platinum recording artist? That's what it says here. Uh, so he befriended his producer, uh, James Foster, who's a lady, who made him realize he could no longer hide his homosexuality from the world. Or made him realize he never hid his homosexuality never. from the world. It was the first decision I made as a father, says Aiken. I cannot raise a child to lie or hide things, as he has done. He wasn't raised that way, and I'm not going to raise a child to do that. So uh, he not only told his family he was gay four years ago, he recalled a tearful discussion with his mother in the car after dropping off his brother, who was being sent to Iraq. It was dark. I was sitting there thinking to myself, I don't know why I started thinking about it. I just started bawling. She made me pull over the car, and I just came out. She started crying. She was obviously somewhat stunned, and she was very supporting and very comforting. Aiken said his mother still struggles with things quite a bit, but she's come a long way. The magazine cover features Aiken holding his son, who was born in August. The boy's mother is Aiken's record producer, whom he met while performing on Idol. He also considers himself a born-again Christian. I never intended Whatever. to lie to anyone at all, he said. But if you leave, I don't want them to leave hating me. I don't know what that is. This means. doesn't mean anything. You know what this is? This is a whole story that went through a focus group to try to appeal to every single person in America. Mm-hmm. Because he's a singing artist, buddies and spam a lot, buddies gay... But he's a Christian, but he's with this butch friend of his, but he's, wait, but I'm, oh, but he's a father. Yes. All right. But his brother's going to Iraq. Mm. And by the way, if you missed the key phrase from this, he uh, realized he had to admit that he was gay when he found himself bawling. Mm-hmm. Well, while she hasn't fully committed to being in a romantic relationship bawling. with DJ Samantha Ronson, Lindsay Lowen says, uh, thus say that they have been going out for quite a long time. According to the Us magazine, the singer and actress semi confirmed the relationship for the very first time speaking on Loveline. Uh, Lowen is 22 and Ronson is 31. They made headlines in recent months for being constant companions and showing public affections. You know, and I have to, uh, well, never mind. Uh, you know, we talked about Lindsay Lowen yesterday. So, blah, 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 uh, Clay Aiken, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, good for him. I will say this. He's got, man, blindingly white teeth. His teeth are distracting. 
Clay Aiken, I mean, he's weird looking uh, at he's this point. He's got those Dobbs teeth. He's got those veneers. Uh, but, I mean, that's the thing. Like, he got the Johnny Resnick teeth put in. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, I mean, and Clay Aiken's not a bad looking man. He's sort of pixie-ish, I suppose. But these the latest photos of him are bad. He needs to fire whoever it is that's doing his, like, his makeup or his presentation or whatever. Like ugly woman. He looks like the Stephen Kajagaro guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, I mean they're, they're all kind of, you know... Sort of, uh, they're all they're all kind of morphing. There's like a whole hybrid going on with them. So, all right, and uh, so forth. All right, it's Tim Riley. Well, this should cheer everybody up about the economy. Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen have announced plans to launch a new shoe line with the help of shoe designer Steve Madden. The new football uh, footwear line will be added to the Olsen's already successful Elizabeth and James sportswear collection. A statement about the new line says Mary Kate and Ashley will drive the creative direction of the Elizabeth and James show collection toward the sophistication and chic women they already cater to. It'll arrive at high-end specialty retailers next year. You're like doing that. You're doing what Steve Kastenbaum was doing with David Blaine. You're just reading a press release. Um, by the way, I will say Steve Madden makes a fine shoe. Uh, I have a pair of Steve Madden shoes at home that I quite like. Although the shoelaces, like one of your shoes, the shoelaces go bad way before the other one. My left, uh, my Steve Madden shoes at home, which I like. My, I can't wear them right now because the left shoelace has just gone all to hell, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not quite sure what to do about that. So I guess I'm just, I guess it's not that hard. I guess I could go buy shoelaces. <laughs> well, it pays to be frugal these days. Yes, it does, Tim. Getting by on a shoestring budget is what I'm doing. Can those laces be mended? I don't know because here's the thing: is it's not that the shoelace is torn. Because I'm not proud. If the shoelace had just sort of snapped, I would actually just knot it up, you know, tie it back together. But it's like my Steve Madden shoes, they, it's like the shoelace, it's like a white lace with sort of a black tube covering over it. And that black tube covering has ripped away. And so my only alternative is just, and I can't really fix it, so I'd have to take the rest of it off. And then I got one white shoelace and one black shoelace, which I guess I could claim as some sort of a fashion statement. Anyway, so there you go. Blah, 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 Steve Madden shoes. Uh, let's get some of these calls and we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, I know exactly what the Obamacam needs to do in response to this. All right. Is this leading up to a joke? No. Okay. No, no. In fact, I almost came out of my skin. This is so good, uh, waiting on hold. Um, Sarah Palin is supposed to be able to stand in for John McCain if he is elected president. Oh, so after what the the Obama debate. needs to do is say, well, you know, why don't you have Sarah Palin come and do the debate against that me? That is the most you genius cheap. thing, sir. Do we have sir? something to give him? Uh, all right, sir, I'm going to give you something here. Let's see. Do you want, what would you rather have, Sports Night on DVD or tickets to Robert Plant? Oh, Lord. Um, uh, Choose now. Uh, Choose and perish. What? The Plant tickets. All right, sir, you're going, what is your name? My name's Mitch. Mitch, you're going to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss next Tuesday at the Rose Garden, uh, Comcastics.com. Uh, is where those are on sale. You're uh, you're gonna go. That that's the best idea. You that's that's it, man. That's the gold medal. That's Sweet. exactly what he should do. I'm gonna put you on hold. Hang on. There you go. Congratulations, sir. That's genius. You know what it is? The power of distributed computing. Okay. Now we have to figure out a way to get that to the Obama campaign. We each know a little bit. Together we know it all. All right. Well, that shouldn't be hard. Richie, find me the Obama campaign. Get me the Obama campaign on the phone. Get me Barack Obama. Do it, do it now. We have a chance to save the world. All right. Uh. So Richie, when you get a chance. Because uh, I'm not doing anything else back there. You're only you're only really running the show behind the scenes. Uh, will you do me a favor and find me the Barack Obama campaign? I'm gonna give him that idea. And I'll tell you this. And if not the Pope, I'm gonna give. Exactly. Um, can, I, can I tell you one of these days? We really just need to find Christina and find out if she's pregnant. I don't really care. No, I'm, I'm thinking she already had a baby. Or two. I just want to know, like I just because I, I want to know if it's a thing I made up in my head. No, it's part of God's plan. Well, I know it's part of God's plan, Tim. Uh, but, but I would like to see if she's following God's plan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I know that met, I know that everybody else embraces the Lord, Clay Aiken. Uh, but I would like to see if Christina Carlson is uh, is also embracing the plan of Jesus, which is to you know shove children out repeatedly and you know it, it, yeah, never mind. It's gonna make a bad gonna make a make a bad reference to like a burlap tent. Anyway, we gotta find her at some point so I can figure out if that's a thing we hallucinated or if it's a thing we just assumed to be true to the point that we now believe it is true uh, about her having kids. But we need to find somebody from the Barack Obama campaign because that's the best move right there. That's the thing because that thing of McCain saying. He won't debate because he's got to go work for the people. That is, it really is a truly inspired chess move. And I was like, well, what can he do? But that's exactly it. Barack Obama, and you know, the thing is, and it solves like three things at once. It gets rid of the fact uh, that McCain didn't want to show up. It puts Sarah Palin in the crosshairs. It puts Sarah Palin on the defensive by having to f come up with a reason, right? Having to find some reason why she can't step in. And it goes directly to the big weakness Frankly, for Barack Obama and for Sarah Palin, which is who, you know, because the thing is, between Barack Obama and Sarah Palin, it's like a fight to see who's the least less qualified. You know what I mean? Like, who is who is you know, slightly more qualified than the other to be president? You know, it's not like Barack Obama has tons of experience, and neither is Sarah Palin. She has less, you know, but neither of them have you know, been serving for, for policy experience or anything like that. And it totally addresses the issue, which is on the cultural consciousness, which is everybody, you know, the thing everybody's thinking about, which is, is she ready? That's genius. Uh, I'm going to quit going on about genius it is. You know it's genius. Let's take a break. We'll come back after this. More from Tim Riley around the corner. Uh, we'll try to find the Barack Obama campaign. If they don't take this advice, I wash my hands of all of them. That's it. Wash my hands of a whole lot of them. Your calls, uh, Peter Carlin, Mr. Skin, Jim Roop, and Tim Riley's top five teenage mope songs. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. The Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, seeing a radio correspondent, James Roop. I swear to Christ about sagging pants. Uh, Tim Riley's top five teenage lovelorn angst mope songs. Whatever. Whatever that list is called. Uh, Peter Carlin for the Oregonian. Mr. Skin for MrSkin.com. Uh, all right, so we just gave away a pair of Robert Plant tickets, but because I said I would, we will give away another pair today uh, based on the Zeppelin phrase. I will work a Zeppelin lyric into conversation later on the program. You hear you'll be calling number five, uh, and you'll uh, win a pair of tickets to see Robert Plant, Allison Krauss next Tuesday, Theater of the Clouds. Ticket to ComcastTix.com, and one random on-air caller today wins a copy of Sports Night, the entire series on DVD. We'll get more of your phone calls here in just a few. Here's Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth. Another pet owner has broken in to retrieve an animal and avoid paying fines and fees. This is happening in Josephine County. The shelter is one in which several dogs were stolen and turned loose in August. In all, there have been eight break-ins at the shelter, say county officials, and all but one was to regain pets. The latest was last Wednesday. Brad Talley, a county animal protection and regulation supervisor, said it's believed the owner of two young pit bulls broke in to avoid paying fines and fees. It's hard to believe that a pit bull owner would be breaking the law that way, Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, the county commissioners have approved $19,000 for revamping the uh, building's electrical system for new roofs and doors, razor wire for the fences, and a motion picture sensitive alarm system that will notify police. Mm -hmm. The commissioners denied an additional $4,000 to buy a surveillance system, but that might happen later. 
The annual dog license fee is $18 in Josephine County. And a stay at the pound costs $45, and then $25 a day after that. And some people just aren't bothering with either. So they're rescuing their pets in the middle of the night. That's life in Josephine County, I suppose. So let's get back to it. Now let's do the jock watch. Here's your jock watch for uh, Wednesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. your uh, jock watch for Wednesday. Okay, this story... Oh, I got confused for a minute. What? It, it was... Well, I have news coming in at the moment, and I'm working on that and reading. You're multitasking, I'm Tim. I'm multitasking. Maybe you should run for president. Oh, perhaps so. So anyway, let me tell you about what's happening in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Yes, there is such a place. They were shocking up when six high school football players were accused of sodomizing six younger teammates with a broomstick during a training camp. But the scandal was raised to a whole new level when the coaches were accused of turning a blind eye to the hazing. Since Ann Robertson High School's head football coach and all five assistants have resigned, and prosecutors are considering charges against adults and youngsters alike. You know, strangely enough, this never really happens on the chess team, Tim, nor the debate team, nor the drama society, nor the fencing club, uh, nor the guy who saves Latin. Only in football. It's very strange. I am very, very sad. Very sad for these young men, says Veronica Sanchez, a retiree who knows one of the victims and one of the accused. Her friends and family are split, kind of 50-50, on whether to blame the coaching staff or the older players. Isn't there enough blame to go around for everybody? I suppose there is. Yes, Jesus. All right. Is that the uh, conclusion of the jock watch? Pretty much, yes. I'm a bunch of hooligans. All right, there you go. The jock watch for Wednesday. Tim Riley. All right. We have some breaking news here. More from John McCain, who moments ago said he's suspending his campaign until the economic crisis is resolved. And that means he's calling off the debate, which was scheduled for Friday night. And now McCain, uh, let's see here if I have the right one here handy, he is urging Senator Obama to agree on a date for a future debate. I'm directing my campaign to work with the Obama campaign and the Commission on Presidential Debates to delay Friday night's debate until we have taken action to address this crisis. And it'll be years from now. Uh, you know, and having, uh, by the way, Richie Tepin's screen, trying to book Barack Obama. Uh, you, well, you know what? I have no words for how much I love that guy. You know, if somebody can do it, Richie, it's you. Really, if that can be done by anybody, that person is you, Richie Bristol. Uh, having said earlier that the American people are a bunch of rubes, uh, you know, uneducated nitwits who would probably fall for this, you know, now, even now, as uh, 10 minutes have passed, I'm really not sure. I wonder if people will... I wonder if justice wants the American public will be bright enough to see through what is obviously a scam. No. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> That's why I love you, Tim Riley, because you cut right to the misanthropic heart of the matter. You know, you're right. They're probably dumb. All right. So now McCain says 
Party politics should not block negotiations over the, his uh, bailout plan. We must meet as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans, and we must meet until this crisis is resolved. So no debates. Now, Never. And the thing is, it's such a clever move, but he sells it so badly. It really only works because really the, the idea itself, you know what it is? This is like hearing a really, really great song butchered by a band in some a tavern. And I mean, but like the song itself is good enough that it can't ever completely suck. Like you'd have to really try hard to ruin the song, but it's not being delivered very well. That's what this is. It's a great move by the McCain campaign. This is a fantastic parry on their part. McCain, of course, is incapable of speaking without something. You know, he always sounds like something that just came out of a crypt and is looking to drink your spinal fluid. But that being said, it still might work though because it's such a little nifty. Uh, you know, a bit of shenanigans on their part. I will be curious to see what the uh, what the general perception of the American public is on this. So let's get back to this economic problem and uh, hear from some more talking heads because he do it so well. We have Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke back in the hot seat. He testifies on the root of our problems. The downturn in the housing market has been a key factor underlying both the strained condition of financial markets and the slowdown of the broader economy. In the financial sphere, falling home prices and rising mortgage delinquencies have led to major losses at many financial institutions, losses only partially replaced by the raising of new capital. There's a downturn in the housing market? Is that what he's calling it? Yes. Is that like saying the uh, the guys who got sodomized at the high school are having a little bit of chafing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so he's urging Congress to act quickly for the sake of the U.S. economy. Despite the efforts of the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, and other agencies, global financial markets remain under extraordinary stress. Action by the Congress is urgently required to stabilize the situation and avert what otherwise could be very serious consequences for our financial markets and for our economy. But how serious consequences for those people making like $20,000 a day? No. No, no, they're not, Tim. They're fat taking, and happy is what they are. Taking advantage of the poor. Sons of bitches. Uh, Beneke says it appears that the housing market will uh, stabilize. The recent indicators of the demand for new and existing homes hint at some stabilization of sales, and lower mortgage rates are likely to provide some support for demand in coming months. Although expectations that house prices will continue to fall, lower house prices and mortgage interest rates are making housing increasingly affordable over time. You know, here's a question. Why didn't somebody file, this would be a nifty little piece of propaganda if nothing else, you know, a little bit of, a, little bit of a political or economic theater, why didn't somebody file a class action suit against all those guys we were just talking about? That'd be great. The guys were, you know, the guys who were going, approved, approved, approved. I don't have a job. Approved. I, I mean, really, I mean, people who just walked in had, and I know that there's many other layers to this, but any number of people who walked in, and whether they were aggressively marketed to or not, clearly, either the bank's estimation, if they were honest, shouldn't have been buying stuff. And yet the banks and the lenders are approved because they don't care by the time it gets because by the time the whole house of cards kind of collapses, all of these guys who were setting up these loans, approving the loans, putting it all in motion, as you pointed out, I think they're all making 30 grand a week. Between uh, 2002 and 2007, the leading criteria was uh, relaxed or dropped. This was pushed by the administration, Congress and the banks. So, I mean, you can't really sue the government for this. I mean, you can, but it isn't pointless. But somebody ought to file a class action lawsuit against a lot of these lenders and against a lot of these specific agents who were helping to usher through these loans, which they must have but known lot, were going to blow up. A lot of them vanished overnight. Oh, People man. came and said, your job is over. They grabbed fax machines or whatever was loose, left the office, never to be seen again. Uh, some, you know, some Lionel Hutz type lawyer ought to appear right now and be filing that suit, if only because it would be an entertaining diversion for the rest of us while, you know, Rome continues to burn to a cinder. Uh, uh, Richie's saying his... Bur- Richie, did you ask to speak with Barack Obama? Yeah. All right. Well, while I admire your spunk and your gusto and so forth, uh, are we going to be able to? Did you like look for a communications director? No, but they did respond to my 
Okay. Let's operate under the assumption that he might be busy. Uh, who do you suppose at the Barack campaign we could talk to? Do you, look, we've got a great idea here that listener Mitch came up with. I just want, I want to get that to somebody. Who do you think we could ask? Okay, communicate. That's who we want. Is somebody from the communication direction office? I wait for a call back. All right, thank you. All right, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. So earlier today, before uh, John McCain started his latest grandstanding thing, he said he believes the company executives should have their salaries cut before we give them uh, seven hundred billion dollars. No firm or company that is aided by this taxpayer's funding should make higher than the highest paid government executive you know what john mccain sounds like he sounds like when you are in high school drama class and you're supposed to go up and do like king lear or Macbeth or yeah you're supposed to be up there doing you know like uh you know get up there and you know recite whatever and it's like the saint crispin's day speech or something and then you realize that like two nights before that you haven't bothered to learn any of your lines and so you're just cramming lines into your head like on the way to the opening night of the play and then you get up on stage curtain goes up the lights hit you, and then you start by saying, uh, hello. And then you're just sort of feeling your way through the rest of the speech. Lay on Mac, uh, Macduff and uh, hold and cry. Look over there. And, you, and you, you've got kind of the general sort of tone of the scene. Can't really remember the actual words. And so you're just kind of picking your way through some sort of linguistic minefield, one syllable at a time. That's what he sounds like all the time. Or somebody takes two Duracell batteries, but one of the batteries is dead. I'd... But one has enough juice to pretty much carry it. <laughs> you know what he is? McCain is that paper towel dispenser in the bathroom yesterday. Oh, yeah. oh by the way, they were replaced all the batteries. Those paper towels shoot. I think they must have been listening. Because it's like they've overcranked it. Another paper towel shoot, shoot out at this truly terrifying velocity. They come out very quickly. Seriously, I need a paper. Blah! You know, it's like right at your hands. A bunch of paper pulp shooting out at like a thousand miles an hour. McCain also sounds like he's just been dosed with a whole bunch of Benadryl. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley. So getting back to this, Barack Obama has said a couple of things, and we have them. Among his proposals are imposing a fee on Wall Street when the crisis is averted, and that profits are returned to taxpayers. That sounds reasonable. If taxpayers are being asked to underwrite hundreds of billions of dollars to solve this crisis, they must be treated like investors. The American people should share in the upside as Wall Street recovers. So when this crisis is averted, which is hypothetical, I guess. Mm -hmm. Investment firms must pay back the federal government. We should institute a financial stability fee on the entire financial services industry to repay any losses to the American people and make sure we are never asked again to put the bill for Wall Street's mistakes. Yeah. Uh, the CMS says, Rick, as brilliant as the move would be for Obama to invite Palin to fill in for McCain in the debate, might prove McCain's move to pick Palin as a VP being even more brilliant. Have you thought maybe uh, Palin's pick was brilliant, given you are pondering who is less qualified? I don't even understand what this email means. Uh, I guess maybe the theory is that it shows that, you know, it puts her directly up against Barack Obama and sort of maybe cancels out the issue of her inexperience by putting it up against Obama, who doesn't have a ton of experience. Here's the, but the other thing is, this, uh, somebody emailed and said, well, what if she ends up being a really great debater? That's not true. I'll tell you this right now. I don't think her haughtiness would stand up to Obama. I don't think no. that would. Uh -oh. She would lose. So here we go. Ugh. ABC News, George Stephanopoulos and Rick Klein report. Senator John McCain, of course, uh, right, would suspend right. his campaign. However, a senior Obama campaign official said Obama intends to debate. The debate is on. Yeah. Obama campaign That's official what I'm talking about. Tells ABC News, I have spoken to Senator Obama and informed him of my decision, asked him to join me, oh, McCain said. So exciting. All right. Uh, I will say, look, here's the thing about Sarah Palin on KCMD Portland. Thank you. 
the thing about we need a little chime, like some sort of little sounder for when we do the legal ID. You know what I mean? Uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, I was say this about Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin's a great public speaker uh, in the right form and in the you know in sort of given the right kind of setup and in the right context. Sarah Palin's a very effective public speaker. The obvious Spunky. example. Well, and she you know she's very forceful. She kind of relies on that one move where she says what she thinks is is witty and then she does that thing of like kind of jerking her chin upward. Yeah, as though she's, it really is like she's one step away from like full, like creasing her hand backward like Neo in the Matrix. So she, you know, that her body language needs some work. You know, the most obvious example, though, is the Republican convention. She gave a great, really a barn burner of a speech. I mean, I gave it like a solid eight, eight and a half out of ten. She's a great public speaker in some ways. I'll give you that. I will tell you this right now. Just looking at her, I can tell she is, and it's not because, not because she's pretty. I can just tell from her demeanor and her bearing that she's a bad debater. You lean on her, she will fold in like a wet cardboard suitcase. Uh, I, I can tell you that right now. I would bet my bottom dollar on that. On that. Uh, and I don't know if Joe Biden, if he goes up against her, if he's going to win because he may just decide to just be like a pussy about the whole thing. Uh, but I think if she went up against Obama in my sort of dream scenario here, I think that he might just shred her into little tiny pale in pieces. Because I, I, everything about her demeanor indicates that she has poor and underdeveloped uh, debating skills. Here's my take on the situation. Well, she doesn't seem to be that bright. No, like no. the bottom line, I think. No, she doesn't, Sarah. You don't have to be to be in politics. You really don't. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, Rick. Hello. Hey, it's Jeff McGinley. Hey. hey. Jeff McGinley. Hi, Jeff. Jeff How are you guys doing? Ghost of Christmas past. What's up with you, brother? Well, uh, I, forgive me if you guys have already talked about this, but there's a, uh, a new initiative going around on the inner tubes about uh, uh, Planned Parenthood and Sarah Palin, or Sarah Palin. Have you guys heard about this? No. no. If you donate $5 to Planned Parenthood, they will send her a card saying that a donation has been made in her name. That's great. Planned Parenthood. That's wonderful. Uh, there was like, that was the thing I think they tried to do in 72 against, uh, against Ed Muskie. Uh, that was you know some of the dirty tricks that Donald Segretti got in trouble for because he was donating to all of these insane like weird communist uh, you know overthrow America organizations. And like William it. Loeb made Muskie cry. Yes, he did. Uh, and then you know like in, in the name of Ed Muskie, we have donated five thousand dollars to the Demo- you know the Students for a Democratic Society, whatever that group is that was blowing stuff up. So that's nifty. Did you read that? Is that on the uh, is that on Planned Parenthood or where is that at? I will send you the uh, the link. I'll send you the email. I'm a uh, wish you guys got to wish me luck. I'm about to step into an acupuncturist appointment here to help me quit smoking. Really? Yeah. How do I love it? Right now, where do you on the classic one to ten scale? What chance do you give that of working? Oh, uh, I hope so. God, I you know I'm I hope so that. isn't a number. Well, eight or nine. I gotta do it. All right. Well, I have, I have a friend who quit smoking via uh, acupuncture. It worked for them. All right. Well, good luck, my friend. I mean that right, sincerely. All right. Yeah, as soon as I get back to my computer, there I'll email you that information. I'll Please email do. you the whole email. It's uh, it's great. It's uh, it's fantastic what they're doing. Excellent. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care, guys. All right. There you go. Goodbye. Yeah, I like people jam the culture a little bit. Yeah. Musky crying, crying like a woman. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Well, let's take our minds off this uh, economic uh, downturn. And let's do some dancing, like the Great Depression. The eliminations have begun with ABC's Dancing with the Stars. On the second episode of the new season, the field was pared down to 12 with the departure of Jeffrey Ross. After learning of his ouster, the stand-up comedian noted that there was one reason he would have liked to remain on that program. Well, my one regret is that I don't get to dance with Edda anymore. She is a uh, champion in waiting. She came in second last season, so I feel bad for her. I think she is a first-class, world-class human being. So he jokes with this first-class human being about his eye injury as he's voted off Dancing with the Stars. They told me editor was going to be easy on the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I figured, sorry. 
I figured for sure it would be your husband that poked me in the eye, not you. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. Supposed to cheer people up. Uh-huh. Well, Chrysler is planning to launch a new lineup of electric vehicles. They show three examples, including a Chrysler Town and Country minivan, a Jeep Wrangler, and a two-seat Dodge sports car. They also introduced the Gem Peapod, which it touts as a next-generation neighborhood electric vehicle. The CEO expressed hope that the government would approve loans to the domestic automaker. Are you kidding me? Because it would save Chrysler from cutting more jobs. What year is this? This is from this morning. We've got 28 to 30 launches over the next five years. It would be a shame to have to trade off some of those launches in lieu of staying course with our electric vehicle and range extended vehicles. Have I fallen into some episode of Quantum Leap? Have I or American business is out of control. Have I slid back into 1982 all of a sudden? Jesus. All right. I don't even know where to begin. I don't really. And 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 I wasn't just screaming right there because it's another car company who ought to have known better. Asking, gone by now. asking for money. That wasn't the only reason. I was, let me just say this. For those who were, uh, didn't quite understand the disproportionate, uh, or maybe what seemed like disproportionate rage just now, you know, well, that was appropriate. You know, back in the 80s, uh, when American auto industries were getting their clock cleaned by the Japanese, among other among other company, uh, countries, because, Amer- because American car companies kept making these big-ass, huge cars made out of iron and concrete. They got, like, one mile to the gallon, and everybody stopped buying American cars because American cars were overpriced, and they didn't work, and they didn't run. They didn't get any good gas mileage. They were terrible for the environment. And so the Japanese did that thing. What's it called? Uh, it, giving the people what they want. And it's like having a business plan and like thinking things through and responding to market conditions. And so the Japanese said, hey, how about some small cars that are cheap and get great gas mileage? And Americans said, yeah, we'll take those. And the American auto industry just continued to to, to trudge along, making cars that nobody was buying. And they just all went to the brink of bankruptcy. And a company that rhymes with Chrysler went to the government in the 80s and asked for billions of dollars in handouts because it was the only way they could stave off bankruptcy and not fire people. So here we are in 2008, and of all the car companies, they're the ones who really ought to know better. Because they went through exactly the same thing 26 years ago. Ah, uh, all right. Yeah, all right, there you go. And by the way, the car is called Peapod? Yeah. A Peapod? Who do you know that's going to buy a car called a Peapod, Tim? Somebody on Wall Street? Jesus, this makes no sense at all. This is like when they were marketing those those early hybrid cars, and they were just like the ass ugliest things you'd ever seen in your life. Looked like we're driving a dustbuster or something. Oh, like no. those Ford Fiestas? Uh, no, it wasn't even that. It was I don't remember who made it, but there was that that hybrid car that came out, and it's like the rear wheel. It looked like a little door jam. It looked like a thing you'd stick underneath the door at the office to keep it from closing while you were bringing in boxes from the parking lot. And then the back wheel well was all like half covering the tire. It was the ugliest car you'd ever seen in your life. Nobody bought it. And at the time, I actually thought that there was some sort of a conspiracy. I figured that they were just making hybrid cars intentionally ugly so that no one would ever buy them. And then the auto industry could go, ah, look, we made them. Uh, Nobody wanted to buy them. The market has spoken. But I figured they were just putting ugly cars in the market because it was like they they were trying to lose, basically. So calling a car Peapod is not like a giant step forward in successful auto marketing, by the way. But, you know, what do I know? I'm just a consumer. Here's Tim Riley. So now the government uh, should make sure that uh, auto financing is secure while conducting the mortgage bailout, says the Chrysler fellow. The next most important asset consumers have is their vehicle to get to work. 
So we won't want to lose sight of making sure that they have access to affordable credit lines to be able to have vehicles to go to work every day. All right, let me ask you this. Why can't people who are getting fired and losing their jobs because of this gigantic cluster F that we got put into by banks and lending organizations, why can't the people who are now unemployed, jobless, have no income, why can't they ask for a bailout? You know what I mean? Because as you pointed out, the guys who were writing the loans and the guys who were approving these loans that were never going to be made good, they were all making a bank, as the young people say. They don't have any financial problems. No. But, of course, you know, it's always the guys at the bottom. You know, it is always, it is always middle class and so-called working class people uh, and, uh, you know, and poor people who take it in the shorts all the time, every time. So, you know, they're the ones who are all going to get fired. You know, they ought to get together and demand that the government give them a handout, too. You know, it's like as long as we're giving away free money to everybody. Ugh, Jesus. All right. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be angry about it, but that, that car thing just, man, that just rankles me. I can't believe that. Believe mm. it. Everyone's going to have their hand out. Yes, they are, Tim. You know, we ought to come up with a figure on this show that we, we think is appropriate for us. We ought to come up with some sort of, like, damages that we have suffered, perhaps lost income, maybe money that we will not be making somehow because of this financial, and then we'll just write a letter demanding that they give us a handful of cash. But it seems to be working for everybody else. I will skip, by the way. The, I think Les Moonves would, would cooperate with something like that. Really? Richie, so. get Les... Don't. I'm kidding. Don't get Les no. Moonves. That's a joke, by the way, because I know he'll try to do it. Uh, and then I'm going to get the awkward, like, Mr. Put down that warm line this instant. Bastard. Don't even joke. It's like that time I accidentally almost called Les Moonves on my phone. Like I leaned on the wrong button. You are dialing Les Moonves. Stop! No! Grant called it. I'm going to skip the obvious rant here about how because of the Chrysler thing, you know, they ought to, like, not just now be trying to put electric cars on the market. Jesus. I couldn't find their ass, two hands, and a map. Here's Tim Riley. Well, first, Lady uh, Laura Bush is in Harlem today to visit with all her friends. She's uh, talking about a program to teach children about nature in uh, Harlem. It gives um, young people a chance to learn about the native plants that would have been here when this was all... Uh, just open land. Open land in New York City? Well, let me understand this. So they're actually having... It's retarded. <laughs> so they are actually open having... Plan. They are actually having a nature a nature study or lesson in Harlem in which they talk about the things that you would be able to see if everything wasn't gone and paved over. That is correct. This is like plants and animals and flora and fauna that theoretically would be there if everything hadn't just been you know removed like 150 years ago. Naturally, all the kids of Harlem are very excited to see Laura Bush. It was fun. It was so exciting. I was happy because I never seen the president's wife in person. That's a poor little boy. Here's a poor little girl who also loves the first lady in Harlem. At first, I thought that like she would be like different like from other people, but like she was really a nice lady. Okay. I have nothing. I have nothing to say about that. I'm gonna let it stand. Uh, all right. Do I want to take any of these calls? You might as well. It's a talk show. All right. Uh, let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello. Hey, Rick. How what, you doing? What's up? Well, hey, I was just wondering if you had ever seen that documentary, Who Killed the Electric Car? Yeah, some time ago. Uh, I think I actually over the weekend did a double feature of Who Killed the Electric Car and Tucker, A Man in His Dream. Uh yeah. No. Well, it just it, everything just. Totally makes sense there. The EV1 and then, you know, uh, General Motors is trying to come up with a new Volt. And they've always said that, oh, you know, they can't hold the charge long enough. But, I mean, really, I mean, you think about how, how far do you have to commute to get to work? 
I mean, it's just, and this, I, and people will call it, and they'll give you this, this jazz that it, you know, you can have an electric car, but right now they're small production numbers, and so it would cost $750,000. And that's, I'll tell you right now, that's just a lie. That's just a lie. I mean, there's just, it is not true. Uh, flat out, flat out bunk. But you imagine the number of service people, service autos that would be out of work if everyone just, just went to straight electric cars. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I understand that it's tough times for the auto industry. I really do. I'm just saying it seems like this is just a thing that they could have been. I, I mean, look, we've had electricity since oh, I don't know, forever. Uh, when is it? Uh, I don't know. When was Ben Franklin in that that I don't know that uh, that jive with the kite? When did he do that? <laughs> I mean, really, haven't we had... 1700s. I don't mean to sound dumb about it, but I mean, haven't we had... Haven't we known what electricity was for a long time? And weren't we powering things with electricity like a hundred years ago? It's not as though we haven't really had time to work. It's not like electricity is like some, some newfangled thing, like an ice wagon that just got sprung on us. It's electricity. It's been there forever. We've had cars since like 19... Let me just say this. We've had electricity forever. We've been harnessing electricity for like a hundred and some years. We've had cars for over a century. At this point, if you can't mix the chocolate and the peanut butter together to make a new tasty treat, you ought to have your your license to try to make money taken away. So it's always yeah, it's always been about the battery technology. Battery, um, it's harnessing the electricity, battery keeping technology. it. Like, but it's gas has always been cheaper, so it just got put on the back burner yeah. for so long. And now yeah. it's just it's infrastructure. Now right? that bill is coming due, my friend. Yeah, well, right. I, well, I prefer to be driving electric if I, if I could. But uh, there's also a dirt bike called the uh, Eco uh, Zero. No, it's called the Z- oh god, what is it called? Zero something. But it, it it'll compete with a uh, 250cc and uh, quiet, which is probably dangerous for a dirt bike. But um, it, it's on the web. Look, I think it's called um, E Zero or something like that. But I'll be I talking about a link. marvelous hybrid bicycle coming up later in the program. Yes, you will, Tim Riley. All right, there you go. Thank you, sir. Thanks. All right, bye. All right, there you go. Uh, let's see. Why don't we uh, let's do some more of these, then we'll continue with the news and the hate and the whatever. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, it's Andy. Hello. Is this Andy, the homeschool kid? Yes. Of course it is. How can I help you, sir? Um, about the Obama debate thing. Yes, sir. Two things that they should do in, adi- in addition to Mitch's idea uh-huh. is they should first off call McCain on the fact that it's obviously a campaign trick. They should uh, just flat out say that. No, you're right. They should just flat out... They should quit trying to sort of pussyfoot around this. They should just put out a press release saying, like, you're lying. This is a scam. Everybody knows it. Cut the crap. You're not going to fix anything. You, know? you are just trying to duck the debate because we're going to clean your clock. Knock Gosh, it off. Isn't it in the evening? I yeah. Mean, I mean, what would he be doing in the evening anyway? I don't know. Sitting around, preparing his Metamucil yeah. for the night. I don't know. That's taking a other... stool softener of some kind. That's the other thing is Obama should... You know, call some people in Congress, work on the bailout thing, but then say, you know, because I'm a good person, I can help fix the country and campaign. There you go. I'm There you go. That could be a thing, too. Unlike Senator McCain, I'm able to hold two ideas in my head at the same time, work on two projects at once, something I think you would want in a president. There you go. I think my Obama's getting better. All right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Uh, there you go. I, actually I not... thought he was in the room. Yeah. Don't patronize me, Tim Riley. Um, the, uh, I am the, I'm the Frank Caliendo of politics. Uh, what was I going to say? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know, but he has a really good point there. Uh, Andy, the homeschool kid does. Uh, he has a really good point when he says, you know, when I was watching the other day, it's a flawed movie. It really is. Things about it that don't hold up. It's a movie that is so, it had greatness within its grasp. And then it kind of, it kind of chokes. 
You know, it, it, it was able, you know, they were, they were really aiming for the fences. And I give it points for trying. It's a failed experiment. The movie doesn't really work in the altogether, but it's a great idea for a movie. And it's got really great moments, which is Bullworth with Warren Beatty. And unfortunately, there's a little too much of that him as like a hip-hop presidential candidate. Right? And he was like getting on with Halle Berry and, and he's doing like a rap about running for president. And that's just awful. I mean, I'm not going to pretend it's not. But but Bullworth, have you, anybody seen Bullworth here? No. Oh, Bullworth's a really great movie. And again, it's flawed. It's got this subplot where Warren Beatty, as a presidential candidate, starts wearing like Kangol and like doing a lot of like, my name is Bullworth and I'm here to say, you know, it's, it's, which is awful. But but the general hook of the movie is, if I, and I may be mangling this, but I, I think the deal is he's trying to get killed because he has like cancer or something and so something about the insurance money. But I think the deal is like he, he he's trying to like either lose or he, he has some in, some incurable disease, and so he's going to be dead or whatever. But so it's this thing of where he just starts saying, like, well, he's running for president. He just starts saying whatever's on his mind. And he just starts saying, and he just cuts to the, cuts to the chase. And he just doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, polish anything, says exactly what he's thinking, says all of these things that are, you know, sort of bluntly true and sort of shockingly honest and whatever. And again, the movie doesn't entirely gel, but there's a lot of scenes that really hit home because you're like, God, what if a guy just did that? You know, like what if a guy just came out and said, look, I'll be honest, I uh, I really screwed you the last time around. I uh, squandered all the money and I just uh, spent time banging whores in the White House. I uh, I'll try to do a better job this time. But I mean, really, it's uh, sometimes you just want to go to the office and drink. Sometimes I mean, I just can't help myself. Exactly. Uh, you know, so it's, it's sort of an inspiring movie in that way. Also a little poignant too, not unlike Dave. But how great would it be, I say, entering the realm of fantasy, if Barack Obama just did that, if he just put out a press release and said, look. Like, we know you're lying, you know you're lying, everybody knows you're lying, sack up, be a man, come to the debate, you know, and then you know what? After the debate, I'll pay for your plane ticket to go back and work on the budget, all right? I will pay for your, I'll pay for your flight here, I'll pay for your flight back. I'll even put you in first class and I'll get you some of those, like, uh, you know, those little funky headphones that are made out of silicones, they don't hurt your ears. Yeah, there you go, because otherwise, you're just lying to everybody. I think if he said that, I think the public would respect that kind of strong position. John McCain has just canceled his appearance on Letterman for tonight. This is very serious. All right. You know, we are experiencing what CNN legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin would call a sense of national vertigo right now. Cool. Do you just have this feeling that things in this country... Do you get the feeling that this entire country is... This entire country is a guy standing by the side of the road taking the field sobriety test, and right now he's standing on one foot trying to touch his finger to his nose, and he can't, and he's about to fall over. That's what this country is right now. I don't mean to sound all dire and Howard Beale about it. I mean, things are bad, man. <laughs> things are bad, and this is just... This is... 9% say the economy is good or excellent. Well, good for them, 9%. How nice it must be to be you. Must have been Jesus. the people at the mortgage companies who did so well. Well, as you said, you finally just went to bed last night because you figured out your finances weren't going to get any better by staring at the screen. And I told you, I come home, my wife just sits there and she looks at that, you know, she looks at the stock page online. She's just like, you know, I should have just played craps with all this money. What do you do? Do you put it in Leave it alone. Leave yeah. it alone. Leave it alone. You got to have the self-control to not do anything with it right now. But it's difficult because it's like you're just, I mean, I, I'm not going to talk about a specific stock. I mean, I've kind of done that in the past, uh, but I'll just say. this jelly. I will say, exactly, Tim. Uh, I will. What is it? Benny's jelly. Betty's. Uh, Betty's jelly. So my wife, uh, my wife bought uh, not a lot, but you know she bought some. She bought some stock in Betty's jelly and aspic company, and um, you know she bought it. At, I don't even. We had this discussion like two nights ago. I can't remember exactly what it is, but uh, you know she bought it at whatever, and it's now off by like sixty percent. And she's looking at it every day, going, "All right, you know, maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to get out of this." 
You know, but really, I've already lost 60%. It's got to come back at some point. Like, if I sell it now, I'm just going to eat that loss. If I sell it, I'm just going to eat that 60%, and if it goes back up, then I'm hosed. I've already lost the bulk of it. Really, what am I saving at this point? You know, if I unload it now, I'm only saving a minority of the money because I've already lost the majority because it just plummeted. So, I mean, this is, you know, and I was talking to a guy this morning when I was out working at this other project. I told him the same thing I said yesterday, that if you told me a month ago that we were going to come here to talk about the economy, I thought you were on crack. Uh, you know, because we're all about the, you know, the boobs and the rock and boozing and so forth. And yet, you know, here we are. So, cause, uh, you know, because it's one big, one big ankle grabbing time for everybody. All right, here's Tim Riley. What was I doing? I don't know. Oh, Bemoaning the sad state of the American life. Oh, Nick Bolia, the son of pro wrestling legend Hulk Hogan, is getting a get out of jail early card. The 18 year old who has been serving time for reckless driving will be released from Pinellas County Jail in Florida October 21st, three months of Hennef's schedule. It was sentenced to eight months in jail after pleading no contest to reckless driving. The charges stem from an August 2007 car crash that left his best friend, I guess, paralyzed. Speaking to reporters Monday, Bolio's sister Brooke told reporters, Nick is getting out in 17 days. I don't know where he's going. He's grown up and will decide on his own. How the mighty have fallen. That whole family is just one big... I mean, I don't know, one big something or other. Uh, it's weird. I was talking to Rowdy. Ro- yeah, I mean, Rowdy Roddy Piper was here last week, and he's a guy who still seems to have it together. He seems to be doing the right thing by his family, seems to be stable and a genuinely good family guy and, you know, all of that. And you think back to the 80s when Hulkamania was running wild, you know, and then you fast forward today, it's like it's not even the same guy. I mean, I know, you know, Hulk Hogan's a character and he's an actor and all that, but, I mean, it's, it's weird, man. It, it, it kind of screws with your head a little bit if you grew up in the 80s to remember Hulk Hogan and that persona he had, which was like the all-American golden boy. You know, and he, Hulk Hogan literally, I mean, he released these terrible rock songs, literally singing songs about, like, drink milk and go to school. And now, you know, as uh, as Khan says on uh, King of the Hill, one big Tennessee Williams play. Drink milk and go to prison. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, this is Dennis. Hello, Dennis. How are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, great show for today. I just thought I'd make a couple comments. It's uh, It's funny that you were talking about hybrids. I just got done testing the most expensive hybrid I've ever tested for the show. It's $117,000, and yet it only got, with me behind the wheel, granted I'm heavy-footed, 16.3 miles per gallon in my test session. Really? That's it. So just I, I, I was actually talking off, uh, off air with Richie. Richie was trying to do the math and said, now, wait, if I bought a, you know, a, a moped for $2,500. Here's a dumb question. Why does it cost... And we don't have to discuss the specifics of the brand or whatever, but why does it cost 170 grand? Is that because of the brand? Is it because of its, like, is it made out of rubies and magic? Well, I would, it should be made out of rubies. It was, I mean, granted, it's the most luxurious, it's a Lexus. It's the most luxurious hybrid you'll ever see. It right. still had 400-plus horsepower, the back seat. You could have, you know, I could have rented out the back seat as, like, a small condo. I mean, it was... Beautiful car, DVD systems, all the little bells and whistles you ever want in a luxury car. But it, it still struck me funny that it was still something like fifteen to seventeen thousand dollars more than the comparable car that's not a hybrid, but yet didn't get any better gas mileage. There, I mean, it's. That reminds I, I me of when I was watching VH1 and they were talking to Kamora Lee, who was Russell Simmons' wife at the time, and she had this BlackBerry and the buttons. I swear to Christ, were made out of rubies and diamonds, and I'm not making that up. She had a BlackBerry and the buttons, the the what's more expensive, a ruby or a diamond? Diamond. Okay, so it's the so the the, the letter uh, you know keys were, were rubies and then the numbers were diamonds 
And then she was actually noting at one point, I don't even really like to use it because, I mean, it's so valuable. I just have it because I like it. I mean, that's, this is, this is, it's sort of that of, of the car world. So. Well, it just, it, it, I, I feel your same frustration with, you know, with major brands getting bailed out by, by billions. I'm getting to get to pay for everybody's intolerance to figure out how to figure the mathematics behind their arm loan on their home. It's just, right. I guess I just feel your same pain with the auto industry because they're not putting these cars out where the normal person wants to save money and a normal person wants to buy that car because I just don't really see them selling a bunch of them. Cool, yes. Marketable, questionable. You know what Americans want? Here's what Americans want. Uh, and I will just speak in generalities here. Americans want a regular, you know, decent, plain-looking sedan that you can plug into something. That's what Americans want. That's it, man. That would sell. You know, you give me my car with a big, like, plug that comes out the back, stick it on the wall, gets energy. That's what Americans want right there. I mean, it well, seems like a fairly simple order. Well, and I get a lot of inside track stuff, you know, because a lot of the inside stuff gets sent to me before it gets to the public, and it's not as far off as you think. I mean, all the major companies are working on full electric cars. They are going to make it. The new Volt is not that bad of a car. It will be expensive, and it will be downplayed as, you know, one of the reasons why it can't be bought. But it's they're not as far off. I mean, I'm a horsepower junkie. I want big, giant horsepower that sucks up fossil fuel, but the other side of me realizes that's not going to be the future. And yep. they're, they're coming more sooner than you think. All right. Dennis Pitsenbarger, Miles Around, Saturdays 9 to 11 on this very fine radio station. Thank you, sir. No problem. All right, there you go. All right. You know what we should do? We should just put up a... We'll, we should just offer Robert Plant uh, tickets to the first like brainiac in the audience that can make a car that runs on something that's not gas. You know what I mean? Doesn't it seem like Andy the homeschool kid and like Thomas Gill, the, you know, the tech guy and I don't know, like, uh, you know, pick somebody else, in Dennis. Like, they could all just get in a room, and, like, within about six months, they could have such a car. Uh, and I don't, I, I think we're, we'll move on from it, because I don't, I'm no, like, Mr. Wizard or nothing. But it just doesn't seem that difficult. It seems like we're making things way harder than they really need to be here. So, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. We'll do a few more. We'll take a break. We'll come back and reset around the corner. A man is accusing a Maryland doctor of stapling his rectum shut during an operation, causing him to go without defecating for 17 days. Wow. Wow. Ronald Watkins of West Virginia is suing Manuel Cassiano, a doctor, for allegedly botching a 2004 surgery that left Watkins with permanent bowel problems. The reason for suing the doctor is very simple. His rectum was stapled shut, said his attorney. Are you? Okay, go ahead. Uh, Watkins now experiences rectal discharge and needs to wipe himself between 12 and 15 times a day. He also had to have four unnecessary surgeries. Because of the unfortunate accident. I would say those are very necessary surgeries at that Apparently, point. Apparently, the uh, man's bowels became swollen shut because of the medical problems, not because of stapling, says the doctor's attorney. Not because. Of, why would there ever be cause to staple his area shut? I don't know. I mean, is that like a treatment for anything except, you know, living? In subsequent surgeries, the doctor found that Watkins rectum was closed because of staples, according to the lawsuit. We just couldn't get past the staple line. <laughs> well, that would make sense. The thing about this story is it's so fantastically complicated, but it's so utterly simple at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, there's all, there's all kinds of questions, as is the sort of queries that I have about this, but at the same time, I think it's very linear. Mm-hmm. You know, staple it shut. Why am I getting larger? I mean, there you go, the end. All right, that's a doctor you shouldn't go back to. That's a, uh, that's a doctor that maybe ought to, ought to be reported to somebody or other. Right, let's do one more and we'll take a break. Let's do a uh, double Britney watch. Here's your double Britney watch for Wednesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Doing a close here. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the thing. 
For Wednesday. A DJ who reportedly is responsible for leaking Britney's new track from her upcoming album, A Little Early Has Lost His Job, the personality known as Intern Adam at Nashville's 107.5 The River, has been fired for releasing Spears' single Womanizer into the station's website after he taped the tune during a Jive Record interview. Uh, the DJ said he got too eager with the song and calls it ironic that Britney is, quote, the biggest superstar on the air here, and she's off the air because they played a Britney song. Adam hopes uh, he isn't really fired and the station will have him back. Meanwhile, Britney Spears has put up her Studio City home on the market. The asking price $7.9 million. A source said Spears is selling in hopes of finding a new home with more privacy and open spaces to raise her two sons. Maybe I can be approved to buy that home, Tim. Perhaps so. Uh, she has lived in the six-bedroom, six-bathroom, 7,500-square-foot home for under two years. Part of the time, Brittany was hospitalized for a mental evaluation following the highly publicized meltdown. Are you all with me on this? There's a special kind of hate for celebrities who buy houses that are $40 million or whatever, and then they unload them 18 months later. Mm -hmm. That's a special kind of anger that I have. Well, it is an exquisite gated Italian Renaissance-expired villa with three garages and a grand entrance foyer. And she's also looking for properties in the Calabasas area. All right, there. There's your double... Okay, now we'll do the close. There's your double Britney watch for Wednesday. After this on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Why, hello. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy. Uh, coming up here in a few minutes, we'll talk to Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Later on, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. I totally know what you're doing over there. So Sarah is eating a uh, Lean Cuisine microwave, what is it, like a club sandwich thing? Pan, mm -hmm. Like a panini? And you're totally, you overcooked it, and you're doing it where it's all chewy, and you have to tear it off like a velociraptor. It's true. Well done. Uh, Tim Riley uh, with more news later on. Tom, uh, Tim Riley's uh, top five teenage, I don't even know, hold on. I, I don't even remember what it is anymore. Tim Riley's top five songs of teenage lovelorn angst. There you go. The honorable mention, and I already mentioned this earlier, actually. The honorable mention song, number six, if it was stuck it's in my haunting. head all night while I was trying to sleep, getting my two hours and 45 minutes of sleep last night, lodged in my brain. I'm sorry I caused that. No, 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 that's okay, Tim. You give the gift of music. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, and at uh, some point before the end of the day, I will work a Led Zeppelin lyric into conversation. You hear, you'll be calling number five, identify the lyric. You will go to see Robert Plant and Alison Krauss next Tuesday, the 30th. 8 o'clock at the Theater of the Clouds. Tickets on sale now at ComcastTix.com. Uh, so we did have one pair for every day this week. That guy who called earlier with the Obama, the idea for Obama saying, like, send Palin to, to debate instead because McCain's bowing out, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, running away. That guy who called, so he actually, anyway, we had five pair for this week. We're going to give him one. So we'll give away another pair today. You hear Led Zeppelin lyric, worked in the conversation. You'll be caller five. You win the plant tickets. We'll do a pair tomorrow. We won't do a pair on Friday. 
So we're going to be one pair short, basically, and it's nobody's fault but mine. So what are you going to do? very complicated. Yes, it is, Tim. I was told there'd be no math. Ladies and gentlemen, the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So the latest from Washington. This just in, Democratic officials are asking the Bush administration to dramatically cut the size of that $700 billion bailout to something more like 150 or 200 billion to allow the government to begin uh, rescuing these toddling financial companies. And apparently, if they need more, they can come back and ask for more, but they're not going to give them the whole $700 billion. So no, now they're talking $150 to $200 Because giving them $700 billion is just foolish. They're going to waste it. $200 billion, that's reasonable. Giving you any more than that, it's just uh, it's just like giving you a license to, uh, like giving you a license to, to be prodigal. And apparently, the, uh, the White House is uh, yielding on the demand that the, uh, the big shots have their, their pay diminished for these big companies. Not allowed to have, like, unlimited earnings, so they're going to put a ceiling on that, too. So that's the latest. All right. I, mean, I don't even really know that there ought to be a ceiling on what they can earn. I mean, if they're a business, if they're an independent, look, if it's a capitalist society and they are a private business, they should be able to earn whatever they can earn. But it does seem like maybe the government ought to have some regulations about how they can't, you know, how they got to operate in a way that, uh, look, we are chartered to operate in the public interest, convenience, and necessity. This radio station must function in a way that benefits the community, and yeah, it do. does. It really does, Tim. We pay uh, zillions of PSAs on here. That's what I'm saying. The you know what? Magnet? <laughs> the cat magnet and the uh, and the sodomy guy from My Queen for a Dream. <laughs> we need to get those two guys together. Nobody helps the community more than we do. We need to get Andrew Hoffman and Keith David in one PSA. Where is it? Maid Marion, come see my cat magnet. Stop it. That's what I'm saying. Ah, uh, all good people. Uh, I don't. I can't really say any of his. I don't even know of any of his other lines for that movie. I'm not taking it out for air, sweetie. All right. You've got to stop. No, I don't have to stop. That's I'm going to play thing. the trailer if you don't stop. Trailer. All right. What was I saying? Blah, 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 serving the community. But it does seem like, oh, I don't know, maybe there ought to be some regulation so that they can't operate in a way that's just going to screw the entire country if they behave badly, which it seems they have been. So, you know, but that's just me. I'm just talking crazy. That's what I'm doing. Uh, all right, Tim, I got two things. I got that. Well, actually, I got several things. What do you want to get? Oh, we've already done the thing about the rectum being stapled shut. Unless there's two. There can't possibly be two of those. Uh, let's see. What would you rather hear, Tim? We have um, we have Greyhound, Ben and Jerry's, or Dog. Did you tell me earlier there was another Greyhound stabbing? Well, do you want to hear about it? Yes. All right, wait, hold on. We already did Clay Aiken over there. All right, let me just get these stories out of the way we've already done. Uh, let's see. And then we'll, uh, are we talking to Mr. Skin here in a few? All right, we'll do that here in a few. And then, uh, Peter Carlin, here we go. This is from, uh, let's see. This is from Ontario. Man stabbed aboard, and this is not a rerun, by the way. Man stabbed aboard Greyhound bus in northern Ontario. This is another Canadian, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think the Canadians are the latest to go crazy. Police are investigating a stabbing aboard a Greyhound bus bound for Winnipeg, an incident in which a young man was attacked by another passenger as the vehicle traveled through northern Ontario. The man who was stabbed is believed to be in his 20s. He was taken to the hospital Sunday afternoon with injuries. Police arrested a 28-year-old man near the town of White River shortly after the bus driver let him get off at the side of the highway. Um, let's see. Blah, blah, blah. Another bus was provided for the 13 remaining passengers to continue their trip. I'm sure that was a fun, like, six to nine hours of uh, sitting there trying not to fall asleep, watching the guy across from you like your Kurt Russell at the end of the thing. Uh, the I'd, I'd wear a suit of armor. 
Well, we were talking about they ought to sell like chain mail, like sort of an inexpensive, you know, like like that thing that the uh, you know that thing that shark divers wear, where it's like little links of metal that you wear that is you know mm-hmm. sort of like a uh, you know like a metal like a metal lacy garment of some kind. Anyway, so there you go. So yet another stabbing on the uh, on the Greyhound line. Um, oh, and I'm just going to read this, then we'll talk to Mr. Skin. This is real briefly here. This is from Russellville, Alabama. A family dog brought home a child's severed foot. But searchers combing surrounding woods in northwest Alabama found no signs of any other remains and don't know where the child might be. No one has been reported missing, killed, or maimed around Russellville. Police are studying missing persons reports from nearby areas and sent the severed foot for forensic tests in a bid to narrow the search. The son of a homeowner spotted the family dog, quote, carrying something around late Saturday and called his father, who alerted police. Hargett said an orthopedic surgeon verified the dog had begun carrying around a severed child's foot, cut off below the ankle. So, uh, there you go. Life in the glorious self. Let's uh, welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from MrSkin.com, the online celebrity nudity database, making our day a little bit brighter and putting an extra spring in our step, as he always does. Mr. Skin, hello, sir. An extra swing in your step, I guess. Yes. Uh, I have to uh, say this. You know, we're going through hard times, my friend. Nothing you don't know. The, uh, the, the, the country seems to be on greased rails to hell, as uh, Blue Oyster Cult used to say. But you know what can make even the hardest of hearts soften and even the most scowling of countenances smile? Uh, that is bosoms, my friend. <laughs> that is correct. Make everything let me, better. Let me give you a little update. The number one movie at the box office right now is Lakeview Terrace, starring Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Patrick Wilson, and his and the girl that plays his wife, Carrie Washington. And Samuel L. Jackson isn't too cool with the interracial action uh, of his neighbors, uh, so he harasses them. But Carrie uh, Washington is not nude in Lakeview Terrace, but if you go rent a movie called The Last King of Scotland from 2006, you will see one of the best butts at MrSkin.com. A very, uh, she's very sexy and uh, has a great nude scene in The Last King of Scotland. Now, there's a movie that opens in theaters this weekend called Choke, uh, kind of a comedy uh, with tons of sex and nudity. Um, the, the girl you'd probably know the most, Rick, is uh, Bijou Phillips, and uh, she's very uh, naked. Uh, Gorgeous. Very, very early in the uh, movie. Her dad is uh, John Phillips from The Mamas and the Papas, so uh, pretty cool little bit of trivia. But uh, she is naked and choke, which opens in theaters this weekend. Now, also new on DVD is Sex in the City, the movie. I think 98.9% of the people that rent this movie uh, will be females. Yes. But uh, there is Kristen Davis uh, nudity. There is Cynthia Nixon nudity. Surprisingly, Kim Cattrall, who was always naked, when it was on HBO, did not her nude scene? She's strategically covered by sushi, no pun intended, but she is completely covered, so you can't see anything. So um, uh, it's just Kristen Davis and uh, Cynthia Nixon. No Sarah Jessica Parker nudity. She never was naked either on the TV show or in the movie. And uh, finally, I wanted to mention uh, Laura Linney, one outstanding lead actress in a drama series for her role as uh, John Adams' wife and right. John Adams. Uh, and uh, I don't know if a lot of people know, she did an amazing nude, nude scene in a 2000 movie called Made, uh, Maze, Maze, and it is one of the best nude scenes of the new millennium, full frontal action from Laura Linney, winner of Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series. And she is, uh, she's gorgeous. I got, kind of a, I got kind of a crush on her. Let me ask you, you've probably been asked about this a billion times. Uh, what about, in terms of nudity, what about Christina Hendricks, who plays the character of, of Joan Holloway yes, on Mad Men? Joan Holloway from Mad Men, huge fan. At the Emmy Awards, she stole the show as far as 
the red carpet pics because she is just so curvy and all natural and huge boobs. Um, she's never been naked, though. She did do a TV show called Firefly yep. in which she was topless, and you can only see side boobs, but it's the best I have for you right now. But she is gorgeous, and I'm a huge fan of Mad Men, and we need, we need to sign a petition to get her to do a nude scene. I'm with you on it. See, that's something that all Americans can get behind in this divisive election season, Blue sir. Blue staters and red staters will agree on that. Excellent. All right. As always, doing the Lord's work. We'll talk to you next week, sir. See you, Rick. There you go. Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. That's something that could bring this country together. Christina Hendricks' bosoms. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's just do... Uh, hello. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Who might this be? Uh, this is Aaron. Hello, Aaron. How can I help you today? Uh, you said a Zeppelin lyric, sir. Did I now? What, whatever might it have been? No, no, nobody's fault but mine. Well done. Uh, you're going to go exactly. see Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. Can you name the album it came from? What's that? Can you name the album it came from by chance just to impress me? I can't impress you that much now. Came from the album Presence, which is an underrated Led Zeppelin album. Still a fine album. Uh, all right. They, yeah, the uh, song is Nobody's Fault But Mine, and that uh, I actually used the title of the song. So there you go. Uh, Robert Plant, Allison Krauss, next Tuesday at the Rose Garden. Uh, tickets on sale right now, actually. dot com, And I'll put you on hold. Rich, you'll get your information. Congratulations, sir. Thank you very much. All right, there you go. Nobody's Fault But Mine by Led Zeppelin. Really, one of the one of the all-time great overlooked Zeppelin songs. Man, it's got a fantastic harmonica solo. And I really, I don't care for harmonica. Because really, when you hear harmonica, it's always like some lame white guy. It's always some lame white guy who thinks he's got soul. Some guy like, no, 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 I got the blues so bad. You know, and it's and it's really just that, like, I'm so terribly lame trying to look cultured. Uh, so harmonica usually sucks, uh, when it's especially in any sort of, like, white man blues song. But nobody's fault but mine. I love Bob Dylan's harmonica. See, he makes it work. Mick Jagger can do it. Uh, and Robert Plant actually can do it. And this song, Nobody's Fault But Mine, man, I'm going to find some of that play a little bit later. That's a really, really a wonderful song. So, uh, oh, Now I have, like, It Ain't Me, Babe, in my head. Yeah. I love the harmonica. Well, you know, I remember I took, uh, I borrowed your car one time. I forget why. I had to borrow your car to go somewhere. I had to go home or something, and I didn't have the car. Was it my old car before that drunk bitch smashed it? Bitter. <laughs> so bitter. Well, no, it's all right. I still yeah. get my $4 check once every six months. You get a so check for $4? I tear it up. I burned one. Really? Mm-hmm. You know what you ought to do? You ought to take all those $4 checks and fashion them into a voodoo doll of her and then burn that. Uh, I don't... I don't. Yeah, I do blame her. I was I'm not say, mad at her, but I mean, just... Wow, that's just like, you know, the government working for me, my, you know, $8 a year that I get for yeah. some chick drunkenly smashing my car. You know what? She probably bought a house she couldn't afford. Now it's being taken care of, Sarah. Think about that. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, blah, 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 but I got in your car and there was like a Bob Dylan mixtape going, eh, which was really, really great. And it was that, what's that One More Cup of Coffee for the Road song? Yes. That's yes. a great song. That's off of my favorite album, Desire. Who is the woman on that? Do you know? I can't remember. Is it like Joan Baez? Or no, it's somebody? not. I remember because a lot of people thought that it was. Yeah, I always assume everybody, every woman he sings with is Joan Baez, but uh, that was a great song. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, here's Tim Riley. Oh, my, we have so many things going on. So, uh, apparently, uh, John McCain has ordered his people to pull all his TV advertisements off the air to show that he's suspending his campaign because he wants people to think about the economy. So they're calling these TV stations across the country one by one to tell them to take uh, John McCain's spots off. Really? Uh-huh. All right. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. Uh, I have a whole bunch of things. Okay, so we cover that, cover that. Uh, let's see. And Obama says that as a president, you have to do more than one thing. 
Did he really say that? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. By the way, let's all pretend I'm not doing this. I, my lips are kind of chapped. And so I went across the plaid pantry yesterday because, you know, you know, it's like when your lips are chapped, you're like, I need some chapstick right now. Right That's another thing you can wait on. So I went to the plaid pantry. And normally I get just the, like, the, you know, whatever, like Blistex or, you know, whatever. Just, you know, because I don't like to take that funky chapstick that's in the big tub by the counter. Because, like, mm-hmm. who, who could have been having the grubby paws all over that? Like, it's sealed in a box. You like chapstick there, kid, huh? I'm just saying. What? Are you quoting something? I don't know if we're allowed to talk about Oh, no. Um, <laughs> no, let's not. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, anyway, so, but, you know, I don't like the, the big bin of chaps that kind of weirds me out. I like to have it. But, they, you know, I needed that all they had, though, and it was 50, it was 50 cents. And yes, it is pink bubblegum flavored chapstick. Really? It's all they had. I went and I looked in that. They have su- Carmex and stuff They there. don't. They don't. That's the thing. I looked over that section where they're charging like $7 for two, two Tylenol, you know, and where it's like, what is this? Well, it's like, you know, it's three Q-tips for, for like, you know, 15 bucks. They had no chapstick. I had to get, I had to get this bubblegum flavored chapstick. So let's all just embrace the horror and shame right now. All right. So Barack Obama said what? That is, President, you're supposed to be able to do more than one thing at a time. Well, that is really true. Mm-hmm. So has he, I mean, where did he say Did he say that on TV? When, is yeah, that a statement he put out? Yeah, he, he just said it on TV a few minutes ago. Yeah, that right. boy, yeah, just said that out. That he said he just said it on CNN, quote, it's part right. of the president's job to be able to do more than one thing at once. All right. Hey, Richie, where are we at with the, uh, where are we at with trying to find somebody from the Obama campaign? Uh, I was waiting for the call back. I called two people. You know, it's Oregon. What could they be busy doing? What, are they campaigning here? I mean, really, what do they be? Yeah, no, the, the. Campaign office is like right down the street. I should, I should, you know, I should just go there. I should just go down there myself with a handheld. Why uh, won't you answer my calls? <laughs> or we can pick up one of those annoying people on Hawthorne who's, you know, all like, in your face about voting. It'd be like the Hillary Clinton office where you went by. There's like one sad woman there with a whole bank of phones, phones that would never be answered. But I mean, really, it is Oregon. What do they think? I mean, do they think they really have to campaign here? How busy could they possibly be in Oregon? So, all right. Uh, hey, by the way, Richie, I think we're going to obtain uh, Peter Carlin here. We're next we got Rupert, what, 10 after? Yeah. So we can obtain Oregonian TV critic and all-around curmudgeon Peter Carlin. That'll give us like a good 12 minutes with him or so before we talk to Jim Rupert. So that'll work out nicely. Uh, here's Tim Riley with more news. So it's a $700 billion bailout. Let's not forget we have uh, we paid $2 trillion for the Iraq war, which was lost. We have a $480 billion budget deficit. We have $10 trillion in national debt. We also have 47 million Americans without health insurance. It's up 30% from eight years ago. And the dollar is now worth roughly half of what it was in 2001. Well done, everybody. Hey, Richie, are you saying we have a birth of a salesman person at 2? Yeah, at 2 o'clock, three. I thought that was tomorrow. I thought it was uh, some guy tomorrow. Is it also today? Wait, wasn't it Tuesday and Thursday? Yeah, but I thought you meant... Two- all right. Well, just let me know. I thought it was Tuesday and Thursday. I thought we had that Carly What's-Her-Name on Friday and then Tuesday and Thursday next week. Well, you'll, you'll, let, me, you'll let me know. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, with a heart full of hate and a head full of mm, straw, Peter Carlin. Hello, sir. Hey, man. How are you? I know you're in a hurry. Yeah. Are you on a deadline of some kind? Well, my uh, the editor in my book uh, emailed me from New York asking how it was going and reminding me that the deadline is actually a month earlier than I thought it was. Oh, sorry about that. Well, but then I was trading uh, 
angst-ridden emails or sending an angst-ridden email to my agent who then assured me that I would only be the hundred millionth author to be late on his book. I was just going to say, really, I mean, isn't that just sort of par for the course? Don't they really understand that? I, I mean, hope. you know it's bad when they send Queen Latifah to live with you. Oh, that's uh, that's when you know that you're in serious trouble. I would welcome the company at this point. Um, all right, a couple things. Uh, let's see. Well, blah, 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 Emmys, they sucked, blah, blah, blah. But I think we've all just agreed, like some sort of clergy molestation uh, incident, just to put all that behind us. We're just going to sort of bury the Emmys deep down inside and never think on them again. Am I right? Well, they were bad in a way that was almost off the charts bad. It was yeah. the worst possible. I mean, and the amazing thing was the, the amount of the absence of respect for TV that was accorded the TV industry by the TV industry in the course of their three-hour awards ceremony. And the fact that you would make the decision to have like this endless Josh Groban medley of weird old songs. Right. Uh, but then cut the mic on Tom Hanks. Well, and I he would mean, seem to be the guy that like a lot of people would be interested in seeing. And you know, here the, the, it is interesting to note that there was all of this because that opening was just so interminable and pointless and tedious, and it was like like a cheese grater to my brain and soul. And that there was no real like relief of that tension until Jeremy Piven came out and made that remark about, "What well, can I just talk for like twelve minutes? What would they do?" You know. And that was kind of the moment you went, "Ah, okay. At least somebody's going to point out that this is just like we are deep in the suck right here." Well, they sent those dudes up on stage with apparently no script. And apparently, not, like, they could just wing it because they're used to doing that now, on see, live TV. I, see, I heard two different versions. One, that they were truly winging it, and one, that it was like some awful valanche version of something that was supposed to sound winged, uh, but that was really scripted. Well, whatever it was, it really it was it awful. Really didn't work. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else didn't work? Well, the laughing thing was just sort of, that was awkward. The laughing thing was really a bad scene. Yeah. yeah except for that, it was sort of fun to see Lily Tomlin. Uh, do her Ernestine character. Yeah, I have a, a reporter friend of mine who was there, and he had talked, to, like a day or two before, he talked to Gary Owens. Mm. Uh, and Gary said, we're going to be doing this great laugh-in thing. Come by and, you know. And uh, so my friend is there, and he's covering it for CNN, and, you know, and he's, he you know he watches it, and it's kind of cringe-inducing and, you know, pretty, pretty awful for the most part and sort of weird and creepy and sad. And he said that he was made so awkward by it that he actually... Like spent the rest of the night avoiding Gary Owens because he wanted to, he wouldn't have to either tell him the truth and he also didn't want to have to lie. Mm. So he was just like ducking him for the rest of the night. So well, yeah. good idea. Um, you know, but uh, let's see what else. You know, good to see Mad Men get its due. Uh, uh, let's... Yeah, and like six seconds of thank yous before they cut the mic on those guys. Well, the other thing was how like people were actually pointing out like I was going to talk more, but I guess I can't because uh, you know of Howie Mandel. Thanks so much, Howie. Yeah, right. I mean, really, Howie Mandel is one of those guys that I thought we were sort of done with. You know, Howie it's like seeing Miss Cleo make a comeback or something. We're just like, didn't I thought we all agreed just to move on from that? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, real quickly, cause I, and then I'll let you get back to your uh, your sweating and toiling and pain and artistic suffering and so forth, the rending of your various garments. Did you see this nifty uh, move that McCain did last about an hour ago? Where he said he didn't want to do the debate anymore? When he said he didn't want to do the debate because he's going to go do the work of the people. And, uh, you know, and of course we all, you know, it's obviously crap and a scam and shenanigans and so forth. But I have to say, just in terms of, uh, you know, just in political gamesmanship, pretty clever because he immediately, because he puts Barack Obama in kind of a tricky position of either saying, uh, you know, like, okay, I'll let you call off the debate, which, you know, sort of then makes McCain the alpha male of that duo, which you don't want to be. That puts Barack Obama in a bad place. Or if Obama just insists on debating, you know, then it makes him look like he cares more about campaigning the run of the country. I mean, I know these things aren't true, but that's how it looks to, like, the great American, you know, like the unwashed idiots uh, that form, like, like, the largest voting bloc in this country. Mm. Um, you know, so it's, so it's a real nifty trick by somebody in McCain's campaign. He obviously didn't come up with himself, but whoever did deserves a gold star for that. 
Well, except for the fact that I think that they're also in a really weird defensive crouch now because they've been cratering all week long for like the last two weeks, ever since the market really took a dive last week and they've been unable to come up with even, you know, something that sounds remotely like a, uh, like an intelligent, uh, message on the, on, on the crisis, which at first apparently wasn't a crisis at all until it suddenly, you know, within hours became one. And now it's like, Today, I mean, it's like every day there's another kind of stinky revelation about them, and today's being that um, it turns out that despite all sort of assurances to the contrary, his campaign manager has been drawing a salary, or his his firm had been drawing uh, a retainer from uh, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or one of those, you know, one of the the, the real bad actor banks uh, up through August. Right. When they said no, 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 they haven't taken the dimes for five years. It's like, well. Not so much, boys. You know what it is? And also, uh, you know, every Republican, I mean, every administration, but especially every Republican administration since Nixon, you know, Nixon really started this business of becoming more closed off in the press and managing the image much more carefully, very severely limiting access, mm. you know, the, the, the access the press has to you. And, you know, George W. Bush's administration really taken that to the, to the nth degree under the stewardship of Karl Rove. And I think a lot of this also is any excuse not to put either Palin or McCain behind a live microphone on television, because she is, a, I think, probably a gifted speaker, but probably a terrible debater. And he is certainly, uh, I would say, an intelligent man, but not a good speaker, probably not a good debater, and would just be turned into, uh, you know, turned into the small lumps of, uh, you know, a political tofu by Barack Obama. I mean, he would just take a hammer to that guy. Yeah, but the weird thing is, I keep reading about how, um, how, uh, how people are anticipating that McCain is going to, uh, that 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 he's actually quite a uh, uh, an accomplished debater, and that Obama's real uh fortier is um is 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 the speech you know that he's more stentorian but he doesn't really do that kind of uh battle you know sort of right. head type thing which i have a hard time because i mean he's a lawyer too you right. know so it's like i kind of feel like that's a weird spin and i and, and i can't think that i don't know if the mccain people are behind that or upset by that because they're really elevating the expectations for mccain to kind of clean this guy's clock and that doesn't happen. And I have a really hard time imagining Obama being like, you know, unable to communicate in, in such a forum. I have to say, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, and a lot of times in these debates, you sort of come out and go, "Well, which guy would I? You know, who would I want to represent me in like a really serious uh, criminal proceeding? Mm-hmm. You know, like if I get busted in Brentwood for allegedly killing two people, who am I going to call to get you know to, to get me off of this charge? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I right now, just based upon their speaking style, certainly not going to be John McCain. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, I think that that it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think that that campaign has got some really fundamental philosophical flaws. I think the foundation upon which it's, it's built is really, really knotted up and, and in trouble. And I think that the uh, it, it seems to me that their kind of collapse in the last couple of weeks after the glow of the convention wore off is is kind of you know symptomatic of this larger kind of philosophical disconnect that he has essentially sold his he sold out his brand the, 
straight talk well, maverick right. brand. Well, that's the thing. And regardless of whether what side of the political aisle you're on, even if you disagree with Barack Obama, his campaign is a certain internal logic and internal consistency. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, sort of like a self. You know, one of the, one of those like tents or whatever, where it's like the poles all lean against each other, and it's you know, it's an internally supported structure. And McCain's campaign just has no internal consistency. And I think that any sort of prolonged exposure on live television, especially against Barack Obama, would uh, immediately pull back the curtain on that. It's, it's kind know? of made up from a lot of used parts. It, eggs, exactly. Yes, and it's so. like, and, and on the one hand, and, and the, the trouble is, you know, the McCain of 2000 was an enormously exciting and, and intriguing character, at least in, in the way that it was he was portrayed, right, or the right. way that. But but the guy that's been sort of cruising, that's been running this time around, um, you know, maybe not so much. Nope. More sort of a by the numbers kind of party machine type. Oh, of guy. he's just sort of a weird, uninteresting, and often depressing pastiche of sort of sun-bleached traits from other depressing campaigns. But the other strange thing is that apparently he was, I mean, from what I've been able to glean from the Internet and elsewhere, was not, did not want to choose Palin for his running he wanted He wanted Lieberman. He wanted Lieberman. Yeah. You know, he wanted one of those, you know, like him, more of a moderate right. kind of mainstream type of guy. But okay. for whatever reason, I mean, I think that they convinced him that she could be a... Uh, Kind of a trifecta, you know, because she was. Well, the reason is the evangelicals. The evangelicals yeah, she's already the right. She's a woman, so they, you know, theoretically get right. the Hillary people. Well, and they already dislike McCain because he's, you know, because he's pro-choice, and there's just no way that you could put another pro-choice guy in there and still run as a hardcore Republican and expect James Dobson to tell his uh, people to go vote for you. It's not going to happen. Here's my question, though: yes. Can, Is the guy psychologically capable of helming a campaign and being the face of a campaign whose fundamental beliefs he doesn't agree with? I, I, I think not, and I think that's what's going to make it really interesting. I don't know, you know, but we uh, when we heard this thing last hour about McCain was like, you know, and I call on, you know, he's suspending, he's pulling all his ads off the air and whatever, and he's you know calling on the uh, you know on Barack Obama to did not have the debate this Friday, and we were noting what a weird bind it kind of puts Obama in. And we were trying to come up with, with what Obama's next move should be, just sort of in terms of the chess game of the whole thing. And a listener had the greatest idea, which is that, you know, Barack Obama should say, look, I understand you got to go do that. So because you feel like she's qualified to step in in a heartbeat, you just send Sarah Palin in your place. Because, you know, because that keeps the debate going and it puts the issue solely on everybody's debate, everybody's sort of discussion about whether she is qualified. Did you see she when she was talking to Sean Hannity? With that so that interview, you know, which was like a, on I think it was on the Daily Show. They kept contrasting the questions he was asking her with questions that someone was being asked in an infomercial, and how shockingly similar they are. Right, right. You know, including the way that she would say, "Oh, I'm glad you asked that question." Right. You know, because it's like, and why does it get rust off faster than eighty percent of? Why are there so many songs about Rainbow Sean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, is it the healing power of crystals? Let me just tell you, whenever you use, uh, whenever you direct any interrogative statement to me that contains words like "did you" and "watch" and Sean Hannity, the answer is always no. Well, just so you're aware. Yeah. Anyway, he was asking her about like, isn't it true that they took, uh, uh, you know, that McCain was taken out of context when he, when he, you know, when people talk about him saying that the fundamentals of the uh, right. uh, of the economy are strong. She goes, she's kept saying, yeah, it was his verbiage. <laughs> Which is like, sweetheart, that's not a word. By the way, she also pronounces pundit with two N's. So, just... Well, yeah, but then she went back to verbiage again. Right. It's just sort of like, oh, my God. Yes. So, you know, what are you going to do? What you, gonna... you know she's a hockey mom. What can you do? And she's not just a hockey mom. Oh, damn it. Oh, I had it turned down. That's my fault. She's not just a hockey mom. I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. There you go. Yeah, well. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch The Shield last night, so we'll have to kind of catch up on all that stuff next week. So. Mm, I'm so far ahead, I don't even know where you people are anymore. Boom. 
All right, then. On that note, all right, my friend, good luck with the deadline and the self-loathing. It self doesn't make me a better person. It just makes me somebody who has DVDs. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. It makes me, you know what, I'd argue it makes me a worse person. You know, you're like, sometimes you come on this program and I get the feeling that, like, your shrink has canceled on you for this week. Or he's playing golf or something. Uh, and then so it's like you sort of, you go out of, you, like, you proactively sort of make this into some sort of encounter session. Where you yeah, want me to absolve you of perceived sins. Let me let me let me remind you or refresh your memory of what I said at the start of this conversation about my editor's email. Yes. And how that might cast an entire afternoon into uh, under what you might think of as a pall. All right. Well, um, well, good luck with the self-loathing. I hope that uh, I hope that comes together for you. I got the act down, my friend. All right. Thank you, Peter Carlin. We'll talk to you next week, sir. Okay. All right. There you Bye. Go. Peter Carlin. Read him in print in the Oregonian online at OregonLive.com. Fear him always on KCMD Portland, a CBS radio station. All right. So. Uh, all right, hey, Richie Bristol, can you come into the studio, please? I'd appreciate it ever so much. All right, let's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson Show. So little to do, so much time. Hello, Richie Bristol. Hello. All right, I'm resplendent in your Viva McRib shirt. Uh huh. Um, you know, doesn't that mean that McRib is alive? Isn't that what that shirt means? Isn't it like French or something? Like McRib lives. Viva Which is France. A little unnerving, I suppose. All right. Uh, all right. So what is the deal? Birth of a salesman. Uh, next Tuesday. And next Thursday. Not today. Thursday. We got Friday. Okay. But Friday, Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah. I'm skipping not Monday because Monday's pretty. All right. And then we have one more, but I love right. two messages. But, but not today. No. All right. Okay. And then we'll be talking to uh, CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop here in a few. Like 210? Sure. Well, let me make sure. Yeah, 215, I think. 210. Oh, 210. That's what it says there. All right, just double J. Um, and then no word back from the Obama campaign. No, I tried for Michelle Obama and Barack Obama. And... Richie, honey, we need you to ask the people who can actually talk, not so much the next, you know, maybe president of oh. the United States. There was I mean, communications director, and then there was somebody that just answered the phone. They said, oh, I'm not authorized to talk to the media. So they gave me somebody else, and I left a message on a voicemail. All right. I could try again somebody else. So. Very frustrating. Okay, well, here's the... Let me just do this. I'm just going to put out the call uh, because of this... Uh, no offense, Richie. I understand that you're doing the best you can. you got a lot, of, a lot of plates to keep spinning back there. Uh, you know, but I'd like to sort of get this cracking by the end of the show because otherwise it's going to be pointless and the listener's golden suggestion will be going to waste. All right, so if somebody out there, somebody within the sound of my voice must be working for the Obama campaign in Oregon. I mean, really, the law of averages dictates that there's someone listening to me right now who is associated with, works for, has contacts within, could hook us up with the Obama campaign. Hey, Christ, they don't even have to be in Oregon. They could be anywhere. I mean, really, it's nationwide. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I just want to sort of inject this into the uh, into the Obama bloodstream, as it were. I want to get this idea out there. I mean, it, it seemed like a simple enough thing to get somebody from Portland on, but I mean, they guess they could be from the Obama campaign and, you know... In you know, Tallahassee. I, I don't think they authorize everybody to talk, though, to the media. Like, they're told specifically. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, they have someone whose job it is to talk to the media. But I'm saying, like, we can't get somebody here. It doesn't have to be somebody in Portland. Like, it could be somebody from the Obama campaign in, like, you know, Alabama. Delaware. Yeah, oh, okay. I mean, I'll call like... That's what I'm saying. They're good any state anywhere. I mean, they're all... I mean, they're all working for the same guy. I just want to give them this suggestion before the issue sort of cools. You okay, know? I'll call. I want to get it to them while it's, uh, while it's, you know, hot off the griddle. All right. I'll call Florida. Oh, I can't. That's unfair because I can't play it while I'm playing the. That doesn't count. All right. All right. Thank you, Richie Bristol. All right. Good talk. All right. All oh, very frustrating. You know, today's one of those days where this is like a. I'm not saying I wish for a celebrity to die, but this is like a dead celebrity day. Doesn't it feel like that way? You know. Uh, you know the economy continues to implode. This insanity with McCain trying to. Uh, 
this insanity with McCain trying to bump the uh, the debate uh, and uh, everything and so forth. And... Oh, by the way, that duet was with uh, Emmy Lou Harris. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love her. Yeah. Emmy Lou Harris is uh, she's quite something. She's mm-hmm. exceptional. She is. All right. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. All right. So here's what's coming up uh, later on in the hour. Tim Riley will return with more of his uh, news in the style in which only he can deliver it. We'll also have Tim Riley's top five. Let me just uh, read this so I got it correct here. Uh, we will be having Tim Riley's top five songs of teenage lovelorn angst. Uh, that'll be coming up uh, later on in the hour and uh, whatever. All right. Now, we're in that awkward uh, sort of moment here where Jim Rope is supposed to be calling any second now, so I don't want to start anything, like, uh, too big. So we'll take some phone calls here. Uh, got a few emails to read. I got this, it, you know, if I really need to, I still have this worst song that we haven't played. I'm just going to take some of these calls. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Who might this Hello. be? Rick? Hello, you. Rick, hey, do you like that movie Used Cars, that comedy with Kurt Russell? I haven't seen uh, Used Cars in a long time. Well, I've got... That's uh, been forever. I've got Squiggy and one of the cast members introducing it Saturday night at the Lowers at 9.30. Do you want to interview Squiggy on the air? Do I ever? Are you kidding me? Okay, listen, I need Leonard you to do... Squigmore? Really? Yeah, I need you to do me one favor, though. We're working really hard to bring him out here because he's got muscular sclerosis and it's getting bad. Yes. His verbal skills are still the same, and he's... He's great. He's been kind of depressed, though, but he's really excited about coming. Um, We've got a... Wait a minute. Let's let's stop now. Is this? Am I being wound up, or is this on the level, as they say? I'm on the level. You're dude. on the I've level. Got you interviews tons of times. All right. So hold on. So let's. And... All right. So let's just back up for a second. So okay. the movie Used Cars going to be showing, uh, and Leonard Squigmore. And forgive me, I can't even remember. He's, what is that guy's real name? Um, it's David Parnell. All right. Yeah, and he played Squiggy on yes. the, you know, on Laverne and Shirley and so forth. Uh, and so you were trying to get him to come out here to introduce it. I've got him coming out You've here. You've got him it's coming out Saturday here. Saturday at the Lowerhurst Theater, right. and I've got Garrett Graham. He also starred in it. All right. Will you do me a favor? Uh, will you? Uh, we got to move on, but will you drop me an email about this, please? Because probably something better worked out off the air. So you drop me an email with this, and yeah, uh, we'll be in touch. Get your email address. I didn't plan to go right on the air. <laughs> what is your email address? It is Rick at RickEmerson.com, sir. Okay, Rick. Thanks. Rick at RickEmerson.com. Thank you, my friend. You're welcome. All right. Now, we play with live ammunition here. One never knows when one is going to be on the air. It's true. It could happen at any moment. It's madness, I say. All right. Well, we're going to give it a few more minutes here, and then we'll uh, have to take a break. We'll come back, and we'll get Roop on the other side. Uh, Let me just see. I'm just going to – what I will now do is just – I will be uh, catching up on my email by reading random observations. Oh, by the way, um, so somebody was saying that they thought this alcohol – Right here might have evaporated, but there's no way because a alcohol doesn't evaporate that quickly, and b it evaporates in one day. Yeah, and I mean, and the, like the lid is screwed on really tight, kind of mm-hmm. classy. Uh, so I mean, this was like, I mean, there was like a good third of a bottle here, and it was Boone's Farm, Mad Dog, Thunderbird, Night Train, some boxed wine, and just the tiniest bit of Jägermeister. And whoever drank it drank a lot of it. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, they left like, you know what it is? This is this is like when you're growing up in a house with a lot of like siblings or whatever, and there's that whole thing about like. And, and you know, and this is brothers who do this. Where one of two things: you got the water bottle in the fridge, and whoever finishes the water bottle has to like refill it and put it back in. And if you finish the milk, like you got to throw it away. And for some reason, it's just too difficult for your siblings to just to do either of those things. So they will leave, you know, like an eighth of an inch in the bottom, so that they can have this plausible denial. I didn't finish it, mom. Look, there's an eighth of an inch. Whoever, and don't get me wrong, this isn't like the Viso where I'm all like. You know, jacked up or something. We're like no, drinking the booze. Gross. It's just gross. 
I mean, if you're going to open this, first of all, I don't know if they even knew what they were drinking. It's in a bottle that says Thunderbird. But, uh, again, I came in this weekend and I cleaned out the fridge from the studio, and I just mixed all the leftover liquor together into the Thunderbird bottle because it's just the one I kind of picked at random. And my whole the whole gag was going to be to have Richie drink some of it. And and I didn't really come together because, again, there's only – I mean, I guess I could have him drink the remainder. But it, it, it does sort of – I mean, it makes me wonder whether the person who drank this thought they were drinking Thunderbird. And if at any point they stopped when the taste of this unholy beverage hit their, their tongue, you know, like when it started flowing over your taste buds and you realize that it was a thing that, as H.P. Lovecraft would say, should not be. So – I mean, they drank enough of it to, to, to like, leave the bottle largely empty. So. They may be in prison right now for their exploits afterwards. It's entirely possible. All right. Well, uh, we could do the top five here, or we could break, come back, do it on the other side, then news. All right. Take a break. Uh, on the other side, Tim Riley will have news for us, and we'll do your top five as well. Tim Riley's top five lovelorn teenage moping songs. When we return, uh, we'll attempt to uh, track down our good friend Jim Roop. We'll find out what's up with the Obama campaign. More news. Like us at 3. Michael Marischow, 7 Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. May I have your attention, please? I have a breaking news story. Please, drop what you're doing. Stand by for an exclusive. The National Enquirer has named Sarah Palin's secret lover. No less than three members of the man's family, including one by sworn affidavit, have claimed that Sarah Palin engaged in an affair with her husband's business partner, Todd. Actually, her husband's name is Todd. The business partner's name is Brad Hansen. That's Brad Hansen, the secret lover. These sources have named Hansen as Palin's secret love, and their affair nearly wrecked both their marriages. Hansen owned a snowmobile dealership with Palin's husband, Todd, who immediately <laughs> dissolved that partnership after he heard stories of their torn affair. Nothing sexier than a man who sells snowmobiles, Tim. But she might have been quite a dish. This is 1996, according to the sources. At the time, Palin was the mayor of Wasilla. Now, Palin has denied cheating on her husband, and Hanson insisted to the Inquirer that he was never romantically involved with the now 44-year-old Republican vice presidential candidate. However, Hanson badly insider Jim Burdett has gone on record and passed a rigorous polygraph test revealing details of the affair to the National Enquirer in a world-exclusive interview. Burdett is the former brother-in-law of Hanson's estranged wife, Carol's brother, Peg Batten, and still speaks with many family members. I've known about Brad having an affair for a long time, but it wasn't until recently that I learned his affair was with Sarah Palin, Burdett tells the Enquirer. You see, Sarah was the electorate mayor of Wasilla, and Brad was a city council member in a nearby town of Palmer, and they started an affair. Well, Todd found out about the affair, and he was so mad, he broke up their partnership at the snowmobile dealership. Another source who preferred to remain anonymous for fear of repercussion provided the National Enquirer with a sworn affidavit attesting to the Palin slash Hansen story. Todd was away on business a lot, and Sarah felt very, very lonely. Really? Is, are they a, actually using this phrase in the story? Brad was a good listener, and Sarah talked to him at length. Eventually, she realized she that... She talked to him at length? She was falling in love. She talked to him at girth. 
So are they still having an affair? Are they alleging that she's still sleeping with the dude? No, no I don't anymore. think they're saying that. No, she doesn't look that great. She's anymore. moved on. She's no. She's moved on. She's uh. She's you know the humping a guy who sells a uh, hovercraft. So once again, the Enquirer is revealing Sarah Palin's secret lover. His name is Brad Hansen. In other breaking news, by the way, oh, I closed the breaking news sounder. In other breaking news, uh, Kristen Bowie. I'm sorry. She says not to rat people out. Timmy Ryan drank the booze, as we all knew he'd... And look, we knew in our hearts that was the case, right? Like, was there ever another suspect? Was there ever, like, a, like a runner-up? She says, by the way, he gagged. It was just as humorous as you might imagine it to be. Oh, to have been here. Oh, that has been in there for, like, a year. And it was remnants. But the, here's the funny thing. A... Timmy Ryan drank like a lot of all of these sort of alcoholic leavings that I mixed together. And by the way, Sarah's right. How long? When did Scotty leave? Last October. Wow, that long ago. Yeah, they've been all over of those bottles year. of booze have been in the fridge for over a year, and I mixed them all together. And by the way, it also indicates that he. I mean, it's in a Thunderbird bottle, so he drank all the leavings. You know, which is gross enough. But it also indicates that he was going to drink out of a strange bottle of Thunderbird, like for no reason. Why, that is odd. Pre- sad. Presumably as he was getting ready to do his program on Sunday. so Or maybe he was celebrating another successful broadcast. One doesn't know. All right, there you go. The other breaking story. So John McCain suspended his campaign this afternoon for what he said. to return to Washington to take care of these uh, bailout negotiations. Now, in suspending his campaign, it means that he's not going to defeat uh, Barack Obama. So Barack Obama holds a press conference moments ago and says, Oh, there's no way you're going to weasel out of this debate. You're debating. I believe that we should continue to have the debate. Uh, I think that it makes sense for us to present ourselves before the American people to talk about uh, the nature of the problems that we're having in our financial system. I'm sorry, I was trying to do another mutual side of it. Wait. Once again, Barack Obama tells John McCain, get your ass out there and debate. Fantastic. All right. So can so can McCain just not show up? Is that? Yeah, oh, look awful oh, yeah. oh, oh! If it were true, oh, this is so exciting. So proud of Obama for not backing down. I I love this country. All right, you you. Bankrupt or not bankrupt, we still love it. Uh, by the way, we'll be talking to Lisa Desjardins about uh, these uh, developments with the debating and the uh, hey hey and the I'm not showing up and the whatnot and the Mahogan. Uh, that's all coming up at 2:45 today. We're talking to Lisa Desjardins about that, which means we should probably roll the top five, don't you think? I believe so. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, here's five, your top five. Four, for Wednesday. Three, two, one, fire. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count, um, don't you? Don't forget, tomorrow we will be talking to Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer, so that works out nicely. Uh, and let's see, uh, what else was I going to say? Something, wait, no, no, sounds like... Yeah, something really important I was going to say just moments ago just completely fell out of my brain. Well, no no idea. Uh, I, I should note, by the way, well, we'll get to it. I was going to say, one of these songs has really just been lodged in my head, not only all night, all morning, now all afternoon. One of these songs inside my head. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it is the top five you've all been waiting for. Here's Tim Riley. Now, you... You were probably expecting the usual thing from me, but no. I have searched the crevasses of my mind. And even newsmen occasionally have feelings, it says here. In fact... <laughs> we don't know that it's true, but the piece of paper in front of you indicates. <laughs> in fact, it would take a soulless, godless, news-reading robot to have no emotional connection to the complex of evils of youth. And so, 
please lend us your ears as we count down this reporter's top five songs of teenage lovelorn angst. These are uh, Tim Riley's top five songs of teenage lovelorn mopey angst, ladies and gentlemen. With honorable mention, going to Gordon Lightfoot and the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Boy, what a depressing song this is. You know this song, don't you, Sarah? I don't know. Came out in oh, 1976. It's one of the saddest songs ever. Six and a half minutes. It's the true story of a... Uh, a, a, ship. A, a ship that sunk, killing all aboard. A Lake Superior. Yeah, this is such a downer. The lake, it is said, never gets up for dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. Oh, see, I got chills already. See? I had this eight track. With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty. That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed when the gales of November came early. And so there's a true story about an, an actual ship called the Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, which was hit by a huge storm at sea and sunk, sank, one of those two words. Yeah, killing everybody. So when did the actual sinking happen? 1975. Okay. So there, so he turned this around quickly. Yeah. Good for him. And I remember playing the song in the middle of the night at, at a radio station in the middle of a field. And I, I always remember it. The shortcut to the station was through a cemetery because I wanted to save my gas. And, and I ran out of gas one night right in the middle of the cemetery, so I had to walk through it to get to this radio station and work this all night shift. Jesus. Wow. But this was a, a popular recurrence through the late 70s. Wow. I might have to skip forward to the creepiest line in the whole song. All right, I apologize for any sort of chaos this causes inside your brain as I skip forward. Let's see. All right, this this is it. All right, so this is this is the line where the like the cook comes in and he says it's too. Anyone know where the I think there's a little couplet I'm thinking of right here. This this yeah. always just gives me the chills. When supper time came, the old cook came on deck saying, Fellas, it's too rough to feed you. At 7 p.m., a main hatchway gave in. He said, Fellas, it's been good to know you. Oh, oh that gives me chills. Oh, man. So, so I'm, last night, I'm desperately trying to sleep, and I'm exhausted, and you know, you have, you know, and the thing where you're half awake, half asleep, and you're getting kind of weird in the head anyway, and then I have this song looping around in my brain, so thanks for that, Tim Riley. You're welcome. I'm always glad to help. Tim Riley's top five songs of Teenage Angst. Number five, ten years after with I'd Love to Change the World, but I Don't Know What to Do. Yeah, let's sing. Another haunting song. Mm-hmm. You're creepy, Tim Riley. Hmm? <laughs> they took the name because it was 10 years after what they considered to be the birth of rock and roll. This group was formed in 1965. This song was released in 1971. 
Doesn't it sound like an honorary Neil Young song almost? Mm -hmm. It does. And the better singer. Yeah, these are all like weird haunted house songs. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Now let's move along to. Uh... Jesus, can we? It's all freaking me out. These are Tim Riley's top five teenage mope songs. Number four, arguably the best pop song of all time. Sorry, I mean to step on you there. This is Freddie Mercury and Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody, 1975. This is one of those songs where you suspect that maybe Freddie Mercury was, in fact, some sort of angelic deity. You know, he was just sort of put here, and then he wrote some songs, and then, like, the, the divine hand of God came out and said, all right, you're done, and just th took him back to heaven. I mean, who could write this? And you can't stop watching the video. It sucks your no. brain right in. Yeah, it's a song I'll never get tired of. I could do this a billion times and so never get tired of it. Yeah, you know what he was doing. You know, we had uh, Mark Cantor, and he was, you know, he spent a lot of time in the early days of Guns N' Roses, and he told that story about being in, you know, some little ramshackle apartment, and Axl Rose came in and was like, hey, I got this November Rain song, and like played it on the little keyboard. Uh, what would you have given to be in the room when Freddie Mercury comes to, hey, I got this song, now uh, just bear with me. I mean, I, how would you even explain this song to people? I, I mean, because the song obviously took up, you know, so much time and so much production, the story you always hear is they actually had to overdub the vocal so many times the tape was almost worn through. You know, and so you hear it now and you go, okay, I get it, but how would you even have explained this song to people when it was still just a composition in your head? Uh, it really is magical, just in every sense of the word. Wow. It's the best of the best, I think. It is. It's one of the best songs ever written, ever performed, ever, 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 ever. Number three. Mm. All right. Alice Cooper. No more Mr. Nice Guy. I just can't get a handle on you, Tim Riley. There's, this uh, came from the album Billion Dollar Babies. Let's see if we can get this to... Uh, I'm sorry. Released in the early 70s. And any moment now. There we go. It reached the number 25 position in 1973. This is a great album, too. Yeah, Billion Dollar Babies is a fantastic album. It, I was going to pick I Love the Dead. <laughs> but I said for more, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Who are you? I'm an anchorman. Really? I'm in the studio next to Dwight Fry. Alice Cooper, no more Mr. Nice Guy. God, what a great song. Oh, yeah. Got a hold of me. <laughs> I don't, you know, you are just an ever-unfolding uh, thing of, of, of something. <laughs> I don't even know, man. I Seriously. I mean, really, you are like a, a riddle inside an enigma, inside a mystery, inside like... Some freaky like black hole of 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 intrigue. I love the dead. By the way, is the creepiest thing ever put on vinyl. I thought that was too creepy, so I changed my mind. I kind of self-edited myself and took this out. I would like to know, by the way, a I applaud you for not doing it. B, B, B I would like to applaud you for considering putting a really disgusting song about necrophilia on your top five. I did. It was a last minute. That's why it took me so long. 
You get style points for even considering a necrophilia-based song for your top five, Tim. I, I, I spent my Friday night putting this together. <laughs> it was that important. All right. Let's move along to number two now. Here's Bowie with Space Oddity. Yeah. Now, Americans best remember this as being released in 1975, but it actually came out around the actual moon landing in 1969 in Britain. This is a creepy hunting song. Still back of the I Love the Dead thing. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe in the next countdown. Ground control to Major Tom. Was this his first single? Like his first big hit? His first big hit here. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. This is really an exceptional top five, Tim. Well done. Thank you. Ground control to major tongs. Commencing countdown mm. engines on. That's another haunting song. Check ignition and may God's love be with you. It does. Bowie doesn't date. What a great melody that is. Just beautiful. He has that great voice. It's like a cry almost. Counting down Tim Riley's top five lovelorn teenage angst songs. Harry Chapin and Taxi. Of course. It was raining hard in Frisco. I needed one more fare to make my night. This is the WOLD guy, by the way. These are all songs. Story you, songs. Yeah, it's story songs and songs where you would just sit there and stare blankly out the window, wondering what the hell you're doing in Wichita playing country oldies. Something about her was familiar. I could swear I've seen her face before. But she said, I'm sure you're mistaken. Wow. Excellent top five, Tim. So. He died in like the early 80s, and he's on the Long Island Expressway, driving a Volkswagen Rabbit that died in the fast lane and was re rear-ended by an 18-wheel. He had a heart attack. Uh, they don't know if he had it because he knew that he couldn't move this car, and he had an 18-wheeler coming toward him. On his way to a charity event, yeah. by the way. No, he gave away most of his money to charity. He lived a really simple life. Well done, Tim Riley. I tried. One of the best top fives we've had in a long time. Thank you. My hat is off to you, sir. Good. I hope uh, I creeped everybody out. Let's, you really did. Let's find out what's going on. And uh, so we've got. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show again, supplementarily from the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hey there. Oh, all right. What a day. What a day. It's one of those. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. I compared it earlier to one of those days where a celebrity dies or something. There's just that weird energy in the air. There all is. right. I feel like it's gonna. I feel like today and tomorrow. I feel like it's gonna keep going too. It is a, so this is not the calm before the storm, but it's the storm before the bigger storm. All right. So McCain says, right. I don't want to debate. And then Obama just held a press conference. But I, what was what was the story here? Where are we? Obama says I want to debate. And then meanwhile, the University of Mississippi, which you know wants to have a presidential debate for crying out loud, because they're Ole Miss, they want this debate. Right. 
they sent out a press release saying they're going forward with all of the setup. They're going to have the stage ready. So, you oh. know, stage and one candidate. That's what we've got right now. Uh, but, you know, it's always about the wording, Rick. And what John McCain said was, I've asked, I've suggested that they postpone this debate, that they delay this debate. He hasn't yet to say is he flat out not going to go? Are we sure that we're not actually all just uh, living inside a fever dream that Aaron Sorkin is having? I oh, mean, do we really know that we're not being scripted somehow? We we are. We have to be. We have to with this crazy bailout. And it gets even better. Uh, you know, Harry Reid, actually, uh, the Senate Majority Leader, had a sent out a, a very tough statement, essentially uh, blasting John McCain and saying that John McCain would not be helpful at all uh, if he returned to Congress. And then John McCain called Harry Reid, and we're told by both sides, Harry Reid and John McCain, that the conversation went like this. Hi, Harry, it's John McCain. John, I'd like to read you my statement that I just sent out. And he reads the statement and says, that's how I feel. Uh, uh, that is it. I know you got to go real quickly. We are saying that Obama's move should just be, look, uh, you know, here, prove that she's qualified. Just send Sarah Palin in your place. I'll be right here. <laughs> that's it, man. He That's it. And he puts it right back on her and on McCain. And that right. puts the big spotlight on them because that's the question. Right. Well, you know, in fact, we're already here. You're, you're on time. You, and this is one of the few times that the campaigns are up to speed with you because we, the behind the scenes, Obama staffers are telling us that we're getting emails that are kind of hinting, hey, kind of jokey, jokey. What about, why don't they send Sarah Palin? Right. Uh, you know, one of Obama's probably best lines of the news conference was, a president should be able to do more than one thing at once. Uh, you know, now, yeah. John McCain would say this is a huge crisis and maybe we should focus on oh. that. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating situation. It really is. I'm so glad that it's not Friday. I don't think I could bear it if it was Friday. You know what I mean? And then, you know, uh, President Bush. Okay, now, now it's sort of like, eh. Yeah, he's... <laughs> National he's, speech to the nation. He eh. really is. Uh, he's not even the steak knives at this point. He is the third prize you're fired. Yeah. Uh, all right, thank you. They passed, and they passed a huge budget resolution in the House, $670 billion to fund all of government. Who cares? Mm. Who cares? And they've lifted the offshore oil drilling ban. Nobody cares. Just, you know, it really is. It's, I don't know. There's some sort of sports analogy or some perfect storm type analogy I could be using. But it's just, I it really, I, and we're only midway through the week. I mean, I can't even imagine what the next two days are going to hold for us. All right. Thank you for making time. I know you're very busy. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Lisa. Okay. All right. There you go. So, yeah, I kept saying it's C, but, yeah, it was in Lake Superior, one of the Great Lakes where the Evan Fitzgerald uh, sank. And this guy says, uh, shipwrecks are associated with the ocean. The Great Lakes, though, hold, get this, Sarah, the Great Lakes hold six to 10,000 sunken ships. 6,000 to 10,000 sunken ships. Oh, God. 1,000 Great Lakes shipwrecks have been identified, and 10 new ships are discovered annually. So there you go, 10,000 ships. And by the way, he, uh, Tim has already left uh, to go prepare more news. Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Uh, but we've got the, it, I'm just going to read these. Top five, best ever top five. Tim rules. Tim is a god. I love Tim Riley. Tim Riley for president. Best top five ever. Tim is my hero. Mm -hmm. Tim's top five is the best thing in the history of things. All right, there you go. So... I love the dead. Really? Let me just. I like him. He's full of surprises. No, but I mean, first of all, do you remember doing the snarl on the, you know, yeah. the No More Mr. Nice Guy? So I Love the Dead is the final. Uh, actually, it's not the final track. No, is it? It is the final track on Billion Dollar Babies. There's a track called Mary Ann, which is like this creepy piano song. And then Alice Cooper sings the song I Love the Dead, which is exactly. It's about exactly what you think it's about. And then uh, the song is, of course, you know, there's no profanity, but it is a song about, you know, that love, which is unspoken, except by Alice Cooper, who then ends the song by making 
a whole series of what can only be described as unpleasant sex noises. You know, with a corpse. Hmm. So it's probably best that Tim passed that one over. But I do like the fact that he considered it. And also that when Tim was sitting and feeling sullen as a youth, he decided that a ditty about necrophilia would be just the thing to ease his mind. Back after this to wrap it up. Like us at 3, Michael Mara Show at 7. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. We continue next. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, like us next, Michael Mara show at 7. All right. Well, news will continue to unfold uh, probably throughout the day. Uh, don't forget, Tim Riley has his uh, news top of the hour, 4, 5, 6, and 7, all the way through like us today. Uh, and then we'll have more tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll uh, check in again with Lisa Desjardins and see what the deal is with the, with the, you know, the debate this Friday. Mm, all right. Uh, it really is. And as Lisa said, she, got, she has the feeling it's not over, that t- tomorrow is going to be you know, an even bigger day or an equally big day. So uh, tomorrow we'll also be talking to Dorothy Carcassari, uh from the National Enquirer, which uh, times up pretty well because they just uh, released this big Sarah Palin story. It's all very it's just crazy. It really is. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, tomorrow, another pair of Robert Plant tickets. Robert Plant and Alison Krauss uh, next Tuesday at the Rose Garden. Uh, also tomorrow, uh, another copy of the entire Sports Night, uh, the run, the whole run of the series uh, on DVD. Uh, tomorrow, uh, top five with Susan Reynolds. Friday with Scott Daly. I may extend it through next week. I mean, because none of these top fives have sounded anything alike. They've all been really different. Uh, so we may actually, I don't know, find some other coworkers. Sort of, tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow, Susan, Friday, Scott, next week, I don't know, maybe Court? You know, Bobby does a lot of stuff. Maybe we'll get court in here. Yeah, you know, we never have court in here. You know, in. court, you know, it's sort of sad, too. You know, probably, I don't know, the sound of German marching songs or something. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do, should I take this final call? Do I dare risk it? Why not? All right. Could you do this call or an email? Mm, mm. What's the email about? Uh, let's see. What is the email about? The email's about... Yes, we're doing the email. <laughs> uh, well, it's, somebody has a question about what are marble light trees? He says, Britney song. Oh, and the Britney song. Marblite trees and no car seats in the stage. What the hell are marblite trees? Marblites. But, I mean, what's the tr- with the tree? What is the tree part of it? I don't really have the answer. He says, I get marb is Marlboro, but what is a tr- what's the tree factor? Is it a tree made of cigarettes? Probably. Probably a cigarette tree. I wonder if Nickel... Did Denver they just make that up? Did Nickel Arcade make up that phrase just yeah. to fit the meter of the song? Oh, no. It's, it's totally clever. Oh. The entire song's genius. All right, then. I see. I didn't know if yeah, that was a pre- trees in a stage. I don't know if it was a previously existing term or not. All right. Well, we could try this call. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Last call of the day. Please don't suck. Yeah, I was just wondering, did I hear in the last break, the commercial break, that McCain has enough time to be in Dave Letterman, but can't do the debate? Well, to be fair, he's actually canceling his Letterman appearance as well. So, uh, thank you, sir. All right, no time to be fair to another caller. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Terry Stillen for AM 970. The talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley, and the phone's Richie Bristol. The gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs. Director of engineering, Brian Jones, CBS Radio Portland, marketing guru, Susan Donat with me, Reynolds. Thank you to Lisa, Steve, Jim, Mr. Skin, Peter, and everybody. See you tomorrow at 10 for the recap, 11 for the show. Bye now. Like us next. Watch out for snakes. And goodbye. From my cold, dead hands.